My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm Michael Rothman, Editor-in-Chief and President of Consequence of Sound, and I'm here with my co-hosts... Randall Colburn, the rockin' one. And Mackenzie Gerber. Now, you can hear us pretty well, right? I think so. That's yes. because we're recording from a studio here in Chicago, Illinois. That wasn't always the case, though. When we started this podcast, we were actually huddled around an old Yeti microphone in Mac's apartment that he doesn't even live in anymore. That's right. And there were not four or three of us. There were like six or seven. So we wanted to go back to our older episodes and make sure that you, constant listener, actually have a good grasp on knowing that this is not how it's always going to sound. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a very rough quality, and we just happen to have that rough quality over Stephen King's most iconic books. So Yeah, it's rough. But I'd say, yeah, I, for Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Rage, and The Stand, I believe. Night Shift, too. And, and Night, Night Shift. Shift. Yeah. We recorded those episodes in a very sort of primitive way, um, doing our best. That was before we got our studio, which makes us sound so lovely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you'll notice that the audio quality is going to be a little bit not up to par, but... I'd say the content of the conversations are still very, very good. I'm very proud of the analysis we did. You'll notice a few other changes, too. Like um, in these early episodes, we talk about everything. Everything. Yeah, we didn't like now we stretch our legs a bit. We do separate episodes for the movies, for other things. And for here, we're basically like, let's talk about all the Stephen King news, as well as the book, <laughs> as well as the films, as well as the plays, as well as everything. So these episodes run long. Um, well, I mean, a lot of ours do, but these run extra long because we're talking about those things and you'll also notice that kind of the way that we break down our conversations now is a little bit different we refine that over time yeah. so so yeah you'll notice that it's a little bit rougher but it's the same quality losers club content and that these, you've always wanted. these episodes nearly killed us uh the yeah. night shift episode i got the flu because we recorded for everything we recorded for 11 hours straight yeah I think. two yeah. episodes back to back covering all, all what 20 stories all 20 stories and the all, movies and the movies Oof. it was exhausting i was i think towards the end of the episode i started fading away dan started uh, crying dan started crying <laughs> i cried in the shining episode i believe yeah uh, so yeah th th these episodes are special they're very good episodes. they're very special episodes but we did want to make sure that you didn't go into the this podcast thinking that it's going to sound like this forever <laughs> because obviously Obviously, as you could hear from us right now, that's just not the case. Yeah, if you're just popping in to hear like, oh, I love Salem's Lot. I'm going to check out this new podcast. Why does it sound like they're recording underwater? You know, we just never really thought that. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we were testing things out. We were yeah. seeing if anybody would even care if we did this podcast. And luckily, a lot of you guys did care. And you listened and supported us and followed us on social media. And so we were able to, you know, beef up the sound, make things sound better, expand our lineup and refine the way that we do things uh, as it is now. So. Because so much has changed mm -hmm. since 2017, not only with us, but the whole world at large That's and you're right. going to hear about all of it as you're journeying through each one of these episodes so why don't we let you take your bagged lunch and your old warm cup of coffee and enjoy a long 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 night shift mm -hmm. 
Greetings, Constant listeners. I want to thank everyone for listening to our last four episodes. Last, um, or two weeks ago, we did Rage, um, everyone's favorite Stephen King book. Um, So thank you all for listening to that, for your comments, for engaging with us. Um, Again, we really appreciate you guys leaving iTunes reviews, um, joining our Facebook group, chatting with us. As you see, we all like to respond to you guys. Sometimes we all respond at the same time and you get three messages from the same account um, that are all very different. Um, But we really appreciate it. We love engaging with you guys and chatting and everything. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about Stephen King's uh, first short story collection, Night Shift. Um, And so we're going to switch up our format a little bit. We're actually going to be ranking... Um, we've all kind of taken, um, the entire Losers Club, we've, uh, you know, uh, all ranked our favorite, uh, and least favorite Night Shift stories. We used a very sophisticated system (laughs) to help rank these, and we're going to be going through them over the course of two different episodes, worst to best. So I guess you could say today's episode is the worst, because we're starting from the bottom. But we'll be talking about, uh, the ten stories, ten stories today, and then, um, ten stories on the next episode, which will be coming out in two weeks. So, and then, but we'll also be discussing the film adaptations for everything that we do, because as you know, we like to be exhaustive. We like to go deep. (laughs) We like to be as comprehensive as possible. That is the goal of this podcast. And, um, you know, we want to hear from you too, so please engage. But before we get started, uh, let's all go around and introduce ourselves and discuss kind of our f- how we first encountered Night Shift. Mike, do you want to start? Um, actually, let's uh, twist it around. This, Whoa! Uh, this, this oh. I'm gonna, I'm, 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 yeah, we're going to turn the tables. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with Allison then. Please okay. introduce yourself and. Uh, I'm Allison Shoemaker. I'm a staff writer at Consequence of Sound. Uh, and I first encountered Night Shift when I was seven years old. I think I mentioned that on the Rage Last Rung and the Ladder. Right? Yeah. Uh, I have thought about The Last Rung and the Ladder probably like once a month since I was seven. <laughs> um, you can blame my parents and lazy teachers for just sending me to the library unsupervised. I also read Never Ending Story like ten times in a row because mm. I thought eventually it would say... And then there was a great sneeze, and Atreyu heard it, and it would be because I sneezed. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Awesome. Um, hi, Dan Caffrey, senior staff writer. Uh, I mentioned before how I really started to notice Stephen King when my dad would uh, plow through his books while I was at Little League practice, which uh, makes always makes me think of Maximum Overdrive in the beginning of the movie, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite scene. Um, so I remember him reading Night Shift, and I di- wasn't really aware at the time that Stephen King wrote short stories. Um, I think I always associate that more with, I guess, quote-unquote literary authors. So it was always interesting to me. Um, I remember the, the edition he had from the library... I think it was Viking Doubleday, I can't remember, but it just had like a house on the front, like a spooky looking house, it was pretty generic, but the back cover was this black and white photo of Stephen King, and uh, he looked like kind of a hunk, unlike most of his his, uh, his photos. It was an original uh, uh, photo from that era, and I remember he had like, I think like a southwestern like blanket wrapped around him, and kind of sandy hair, and I, I remember just being like, wow, that, you know, the guy writes all these weird stories, he's a handsome dude, and then I saw, you know, later books, I'm not saying he's ugly or anything like that, but he just... <laughs> I wouldn't call him a hunk, though, I don't think. Well, I feel like all his other photos um, on his books look as if, like, they caught him right as he's writing a sentence that <laughs> yeah, we would call up. pound cake or something. <laughs> like, he's like, oh! Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, looking up surprised. And yeah, this like, this, oh! one, this like, one, he looks very at ease and, 
contemplative yeah. and, and very hunky. Do you um, think the photo shoot, do you think it was cold, so he asked for a blanket? Maybe, like, he's sitting on the porch, like, oh, I'm looking at the, I don't know, what mountains are in Maine? The, ma- the Maine mountains. The mountain. Oh, the Maine mountains. The, mountain, the, Maine mountain. yeah, the mountains of madness. I thought you just said the mean mountains. <laughs> Which sounds like something that would be in the Stephen King book. Um, and so anyway, it always intrigued me, and uh, I remember at, at the video store, I would always peruse the horror section. And and I in the comedy section I came across the movie Night Shift with Michael Keaton and um, Henry, Henry Winkler. Winkler. Yeah, that and I, great. I just assumed it was like <laughs> an adaptation of some of the stories, but through this comedy bent. And because as we know, there are lots of adaptations that aren't true to the book at all. And so I remember just thinking that, and then eventually watching it and being like, I don't think this. They're is just Night making Shift. them into bold comedies. Yeah, and, and so it was a very confusing process. So I I saw bits of the movie Night Shift first, and I'm like, wait, is the book like this? And then I read it, and of course, I, I realized my blunder. So I had a very uh very twisty turn to finally getting around to reading. Ah. So you might say that uh, you uh, were eventually correct, Amundo. <laughs> yeah, oh, a little fun slang, a little fun slang. Oh dear. Justin, that's really good. Hi, I'm Justin Gerber. I'm another senior staff writer at Consequence of Sound, also a co-host of uh, Gerber and Gerber. Please check us out on YouTube. I'm going to go now after I made my plug. Goodbye. Um, And just like every other story I feel like I read by Stephen King, the first time I read it was in seventh grade. I can recall reading the the edition with the hand and the bandages. Oh, and the doorway. And the eyes, the eye and the doorway. Cover. Which oh, you can yeah. see in the original Children of the Corn movie. It's sitting on their dashboard as they're driving. Oh, I don't think I noticed yeah, that. Yeah, I just noticed it. We'll be time. talking about the great yeah. Children of the Corn adaptation <laughs> um, a little later on. Or maybe even the next episode. We'll see. Um, but again, yeah, seventh grade. And I knew, I guess, more about Stephen King at that point. I knew that he had done some short story collections. And I was just as captivated now as I was back then. I still think this is a very strong collection. We'll get more into that spoiler territory later on. Um, I turn it over to my brother. (laughs) Hi, uh, I'm Mackenzie Gerber, the other co-host of Gerber and Gerber. Uh, My first introduction to Night Shift, well, the book I just read for the first time last month. I did not read any of these Stephen King books before ever. I'm kind of a Stephen King book virgin, if you will. Uh, I did, however, uh, I guess my first real introduction to it is the, the was the cover at Blockbuster for Graveyard Shift. <laughs> the skull? The skull with the hard hat. Uh, yeah, I that's really the first thing I remember from this series, unfortunately, and we'll get into that <laughs> soon. But uh, yeah, so um, I, I loved it, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about these stories. Cool. Mike? I uh, read Ooh, this. Wait, who are you? Oh, I'm uh, Mike Rothman. I'm editor in chief of Consequence of Sound. Um, and uh, there you go. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's why I, you wanted to go last. That yeah, was your no, no, impression. that was not the reason why I wanted to go last. Because I, I just needed I needed to sip some more tea. Oh, uh, okay. my Arnold Palmer, oh. um, which um, apparently is not the right uh, time of the year to drink. I was told at the uh, coffee shop. I but, can concur. Um, I was there. Well, hey, it's yeah. a little unseasonably warm. Am I right, guys? So you I know think, it is. Uh, uh, I think you're climate change. But um, anyway, um, I read uh, Night Shift ten years ago. Um, it's actually my tenth anniversary because I read it when I first moved to Chicago, ah. and so it was interesting because having you know I had read a lot of Stephen King in South Florida, and I wasn't really you know 
I mean, look, Illinois is not Maine, but it's a lot more similar mm-hmm. than South Florida. So being able to live up here and see the seasons, I feel like I was able to kind of understand you know, stories like Strawberry Swing or no, not, not Strawberry Swing. Spring? Strawberry the Coldplay song? Spring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I keep getting the two mixed up, you know. Um, I think Col- uh, Chris Martin's the killer at the end of the movie. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert. But, um, but I was able to understand those stories a little bit more. And um, so it was really kind of my... Um, it was kind of a reawakening for me with Stephen King because I had just read that miserable book, Duma Key. And, um, well, that's and, a Florida book. And right? that is a Florida book, <laughs> and I was not into that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, and you know, I, I recognize a lot of these stories, obviously, mm-hmm. from the movies growing up, you know, whether it was Children of the Corn or um, even Cat's Eye because I was a huge fan of Cat's Eye growing up because I just love anthology movies. So uh, being able to um, kind of read a, the original versions of these was was a lot of fun. It's funny that you say that about the seasons because that was something I noticed this time around reading it. Um, you know, one for the road and uh, oh, gray yeah. matter. I mean, they they winter. They, yeah, they play up winter a lot. Even yeah. strawberry spring. Yeah, um, I almost said swing too. But um, yeah, it's it's something that it's like this running theme that I really didn't notice uh, until this time around. So pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I um, and then uh, my name is Randall Colburn, as I said. Uh, I actually um, I went through sort of a, a king binge at. Uh, first my school library and then they only had a certain amount of books so then my local library and I actually had an old uh, Signet edition um, Mm -hmm. that had a bunch of eyes on it oh cool it was a blue cover and then it just um, it had a lot of Wi-Fi codes on it too (laughs) (laughs) it's popped up Um, yeah and then it said uh, from the author of Carrie in the Stand uh, and then it just said Night Shift Excursions into Horror and I was very spooked out by it was just a blue book with a bunch of eyes on it so and I am the doorway reference just Mm -hmm. like the hand one which I've also seen but yeah I remember the cover of that was very freaky and I remember putting off reading it for a while because I guess, you know, I, I I guess I just thought that short stories didn't have the same merit as longer ones. Because the first Stephen King book I ever read was The Stand, and I loved God. the, I know, I loved the long ones, you know, I think I just trained myself early. So, um, and then when I first read Night Shift, I was really young, I was probably seventh grade, somewhere around there, and I, um, I remember I didn't really appreciate it, like... I reread it as I got older, and then even just rereading it for this podcast, I came to appreciate it a lot more. I think when I was younger, I because I knew there were short stories, it, this is sort of weird, but I almost had less patience if I wasn't mm-hmm. gripped by it in the first couple pages, and it seemed like it was... A, I'd look at like how long it was in the table of contents, and I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to skip this <laughs> I'll one. I'll skip Jerry lot. Like, yeah, yeah, seriously. Like When I was yeah. a kid, that was I couldn't get into the Lovecraftian aspect of that, whereas One for the Road, I loved when I was a kid. Yeah. But like, um, you know, for me, I was like... I was a real horror hound. I wanted the goods uh, early on. I didn't want. I wanted the, the buckets of blood. I wanted buckets of blood. I didn't want existential horror, you know. So, and I remember like last rung of the ladder, and um, and the l- woman in the room. Like when I was a kid, I was like, "Why do I care about this? There's no monsters. <laughs> There's no monsters." <laughs> and then when I got older, I'm like, "Oh, this yeah. is amazing." Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that was my that was all how we all sort of first encountered Night Shift. And b- but before we dive deep into um, these stories, we're going to go through them one by one. We want to take a moment to see what's new in the world of Stephen King with a little section called Needful Tweets. He's not a human being. No! Don't you see what he's done? Kill them all! Let God sort them out! Alright, King's been, um, 
have a Twitter storm these past two weeks. We've got more Trump tweets. We've got more announcements. We've got more Molly, the corgi, not the drug. Someone needs to tell him that he's the master of horror and uh, not the social media master. <laughs> um, you know, based on these batch of tweets, it seems that he likes to play, you know, a bunch of different roles. He doesn't like to just be relegated to being an author. Um, you know, on, on, for example, on, on February 21st, he played English professor for a quick minute by tweeting, aspiring fiction writer? Cool! Here are two phrases you must never use, quote, for a long moment, and quote, for some reason. Find another way. He even offered a couple examples and then gave a smart-ass rebuttal to his <laughs> followers by saying, for some reason, it took me a long moment, a very long moment, to look at all the responses to my last tweets. So it's, uh, it's nice that he's on writing um, sounds like he just went out looking for a fight. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like on Twitter. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that's his. Uh, that's his. Uh, his follow up. Um, the following night, he played a TV critic, uh, Mr. Uh, he's trying to be a little uh, Mr. Alan Steppenwolf. Well, Entertainment Weekly um, callback. He criticized uh, Fox's 24 Legacy, saying just not the same without Jack Bauer twisting arms and giving head nuggies. And Chloe, this show needs Chloe bad. <laughs> On the same day. <laughs> Uh, of which he was playing TV critic, he also uh, turned some heads when he responded to a tweet by Blumhouse, uh, which asked, uh, Blumhouse had tweeted um, a photo of uh, The Shining, and it said, what are your top five Stephen King joints? And it had the the two girls on The Shining, which Mm -hmm. were not even in the actual book. And uh, Stephen King replied back saying, "Not this one." That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. Which is pretty funny, yeah. But it, but it's 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 so funny because it was reported in actual like media picked it up. Yeah, yeah. Which is, just shows that like his like rivalry with this like you know Stanley Kubrick adaptation just will never it, die. I felt like you know? it, it was tempered for a while. Like he'd come to accept yeah. it, and it's just gotten worse now as he's gotten older. He yeah, just can't I mean, let it go. It's, it's his a, Russia. It's it's uh, like the it Russia. is his Russia. Yeah, it's his celebrity apprentice. Yeah. Oh my god. More aptly. On, on February 23rd, he played book agent, uh, adding, Don Winslow's The Force, coming in June, is mesmerizing, a triumph. Think The Godfather, only with cops. It's that good. Uh, and then he even made a callback to his recent writing lesson, uh, writing, uh, in addition to being compulsively readable, nowhere in Don Winslow's The Force will you find for a long moment or for some reason. <laughs> so, yeah, that's such a weird thing know, to get hung up on. I don't know. You know but then he made a confession. He said, because, I mean, look, he's written hundreds of books. So he goes, confession, I have used for a long moment often. I think we get it from those meaningful glances in the movies. For some reason, never. (laughs) Okay, that's a challenge. Yeah, that's a challenge. As we reread these, if you see for some reason... You got to tweet. We actually, yes. we we actually should. Oh man, we screenshot it. Yeah, it I think sure. that would be. I think that'd be a fun little game that we could play. Later that day, he played political advocate, which uh, you know a lot of our constant listeners are fans of. Writing suppression of the f- press is fascistic, which as members of you know, the media as we all are, we can agree with. Yeah. So, totally. um, you know, and then. Uh, I particularly enjoyed his retweet of Chubby Animals. I didn't know that was a, a meme <laughs> online. So he had, like, a, 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 I guess he tweeted a photo of, like, a tiger that was, like, you know, bloated. <laughs> Wait, Stephen King t- retweeted a Chubby Animals yeah, account? Yeah, I love him. I know, I know. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, and then on February 26th, he paid tribute to a fallen legend, uh, writing, Bill Paxton gone? How oh, can man. that be? Fine actor, fine man. Game over, man. Game over. And I and I wondered is Paxton was Paxton ever involved in a Stephen King production? I don't think so. I mean, Not that I can remember. He's done some great horror work. I mean, Near Dark. I mean, Frailty. Frailty is basically a Stephen King. E- story. Even the setting. I mean, it's in Texas, but it has that very 
I mean, Castle Rocky. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I can see that being in Night Shift. Yeah. Oh, oh totally. Yeah. Especially I, with the twist at the end. Like we should look that up. I feel like I mean, Bill Paxton is in so many movies. Man, I just forgot about him dying. That was super sad. Yeah. I know. It's um. It's pretty awful. Well, uh, you'll be happy to know that on March 1st, he played TV critic again, and uh, he offered his two cents on CBS's The Good Wife, uh, writing... The Good Fight? Oh, The Good Fight, yeah. The Good Fight, (laughs) writing, it's good to have Diane Lockhart bad. By the second episode, I'd stop missing Alicia. Well, I still miss her a little. I have a question really quick, not to interrupt, but I know Stephen King writes for a living, and so maybe he has like more free time than we all do. But that, how does he watch all this stuff? Like, I feel like I feel like he watches everything and listens. to Well, everything. he says he only writes four hours a day now. Even then, like that seems. I mean, I guess his kids are out of the house, whatever yeah, else. But it's just crazy. what does he have to do? He has no man. He has nothing to do. Shuts his laptop and turns the TV on and just sits in the same spot all day. I and, guess uh, so, man. But it's just like he kind of. But he cranks out like two or three books a year. To, I don't know. I'm, I'm in amazement of it. Well, so, speaking yeah. of books, yeah. uh, oh. one major tweet I skipped over was a big announcement of a new Castle Rock book he's written with Richard Chismar <laughs> called Gwendy's Button Box, and it uh, hits bookstores as a hardcover this May. Now, Chismar, which might be Shizmar or Chai... I'm going with Chismar, <laughs> is best known as the publisher and editor of Cemetery Dance Magazine mm, and also nice. the owner of Cemetery Dance Publications, who is publishing the new book. He's also headed up the Stephen King Revisited Project, which finds him, like us, going through every one of King's books in order of publication and writing essays and thoughts on the experience. And Needless to say... Yeah, he, I, don't, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, you know, a little competition. You know, well, <laughs> yeah. He started it first before us, but... Um, and, uh, doesn't matter, know, doesn't matter. None yeah. of us doesn't have written matter. a book with Stephen King, which is what he did. Well, which maybe is we why will. He put maybe Stephen, we will, you know? It's not, know. He's not so much revisiting Stephen King, but uh, living Stephen King. So He's the real deal. He's, he's walking the, he, the walk. He's, the, he's, uh, he's walking the walk. Walking the long walk. It's like John Stamos playing with the Beach Boys. Exactly. That is a perfect example. He's got... Even he has like a little drum thing, and his smile's a Um, Side note, I once saw when the Beach Boys did reunite in 2012, I uh, was doing photography um, uh, for Consequence of Sound, and I was in the actual press, uh, you know, the photo pit area, and good lord, does John Stamos look better every year. I I swear to God, I I mean, he he looks better than he did 20 years ago. He's a know, I don't know if it's the Greek, uh, you know, yogurt that he has to, you know, do, <laughs> promoting that he just eats. But I don't anyway. think has John Stamos been in any Stephen King properties. I don't think so. He should have been. He could have been a good. Um... Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's begging to be a greaser in something. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Why wasn't he in the Christine adaptation? <laughs> oh, that would have been good. Or sometimes yeah. they come back. Have mercy. He could. He could play. <laughs> oh, God. If they did a, a thing like they did in Needful Things, where it's like a grown-up greaser, like Ace Merrill, he knows kind of like a washed-up greaser. Maybe Stamos could do that now, but he's still too good-looking. For uh, I, I prefer Stamos to Adam Stork in the stand. I was going to say. Right. I oh, you're gonna your say, tongue. Uh, we'll uh, talk uh, about uh, that in a month. We're going to get so. that in a second, but enough. Um, anyway, <laughs> enough. so enough. <laughs> enough. Adam Stork is. We got some Stork yeah. fans. Here. I'm a we got stork, some stork, uh, I'm a Stork defender. We'll get to that. Though. Oh, uh, I will also add that John Stamos's most recent TV project was. Scream Queen. Ooh, oh, that's so true. he does have some horror projects floating around. Got to get the Stam and Uncle Steve hooked up. I think. That's, we'll have, uh, also, I think he probably Uncle Jesse and Uncle in Steve. blood every night. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's why he looks the way he does. <laughs> we're we're going to have a, a Stamos spinoff um, <laughs> podcast uh, in the future. So that that'll be a that'll be a good one. And that's a wrap on uh, Needful Tweets, folks. Yeah, obviously, lots of news. Very exciting. But um, it's time to get away from. Uh, the the future and dive back into the past um, <laughs> because sometimes 
they come back. I should all, I should clarify. Uh, we are going from worst to best, and I just spoiled it. <laughs> the worst story in Night Shift, according to this Losers Club, is a little story called Sometimes They Come Back. Let's just talk about the hook first, I guess. Mm-hmm. The main thing is it's about how the dead can't rest. Uh, teachers got to contend with new students who strangely resemble a gang responsible for the death of his brothers 16 years earlier when they were children. Um, you know, one by one, they replace recently deceased students, and the hunting becomes a little more violent as it goes on. There's a discussion of, you know, this, this kind of talks about the haunting of somebody's past. It deals with resurrection, um, the loss of a family member, and how that can just stay with you for the rest of your life. This book, or this story, is actually pretty good for, I would say, like 70% of the way through. It's the last, like, ten pa- or five pages that it just gets and I, crazy. I, let me tell you where it goes off the rails. <laughs> His wife discovers Jim reading a book called yeah. Raising Demons. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is, they don't talk about him going to the library. They don't right. talk about him, you know, going to anybody to, to discuss research. He's just sitting in the living room <laughs> reading Raising Demons. And... From the, it's just become it becomes a mess after that. Really, I don't know. For me, it's like um, th- the way that I would describe. Sometimes they come back, which is a story that I actually th- I don't like the story, but I love the idea of the story, mm-hmm. and I love the way that sort of these uncanny figures that exist at another time begin showing up in his classroom, and the idea of like trauma that is somewhat unrecognizable because because you've blocked it in a certain way like the idea that when these kids show up in his class he doesn't immediately mm. go oh my god like these are the guys who killed my brother there's like that creeping sense of something is off mm. with them and the there's the tickle in the back of your mind that says who, who these people really are yeah I, I love that and I the thing is I love <clears throat> the first half of it because you're right there with him where you really don't know if these really are the kids or if he's just kind of losing it and just racked with this like guilt of leaving his brother to 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 die and um i i feel like so much of it works but then the killer is the black magic stuff i mean Mm -hmm, and it kills a couple other stories in this short story Mm -hmm. collection well something that first off I like what you guys said about this idea of trying to block out fear and, and just try and convince yourself of something even when you know the truth. And it also, you know, Stephen King was a teacher for a while, and it does really, in a way that Rage doesn't, I think it does capture the kind of horror of teaching high school. like yeah. the, Because he's, um, what's what's that class called? Literature for... Uh, but what, it's like a remedial class. Yeah, it's an introductory literature and class. And it captures the stress. I mean, the guy, the principal even tells in the beginning how teachers get the, the most ulcers out of any occupation. So I think that is actually this really palpable fear. And I, and I love all the stuff of the past. I even don't even mind the characterization of the greasers. But like Mac was saying, though, and this is this is true of the mangler and, and certainly of this story, Satanism is treated just so casually. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm just going to go. Like, they do such a good job of, of having a buildup. And that's like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the library, uh, chop off my fingers, uh, get some blood from a cat I killed randomly. Yeah. Which may, and it just, it, I don't mind it getting to that point, but it just happens so easily for him that it just tanks the story and it's totally like very he just, jarring. Oh, sorry, you go ahead, Mike. Very yeah, I, I mean, my, my thing with this is, and this is something that I think you can see a lot in a few of his short stories, is I don't know if he really realized what where he was going with this. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think, like, it's one of those situations where... You know, it's like the blank page thing where you just go and you have like, you know, you maybe have like a little grain or a little seed of like of of an idea and you go with it. And you didn't know whether this could even be 
um, you know, where this is going to end up, and then also whether this could be a novella or a novel or a short story. It's because long. I mean, it's forty pages. It's over forty pages. It's one of the big. It's I think it's the biggest story in the in the book. Um, and I, I and I and it feels as if it's like cotton between being a short story or a novella. And even though the way he builds the world, I mean, he he talks about his you know his pat the town that he's from, and then you know he talks to the sheriff, and there's a lot of world building in this it's short great. story, which is good, but it's also misleading because yeah. it's it's a it's a short story that doesn't ever feel like a short story, and it has like a short story style ending because it 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 basically has the, because it has the conventions of a short story. It feels that it can get away with the idea mm-hmm. of having some more of those perfunctory setups, where it's just like, oh yeah, the demon book at the end or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And and for me, that it just felt like this was a concept that he didn't really necessarily like sit down and try to really kind of smooth out before like just just going, mm-hmm. just going with it. You know? I felt that way too. It's and that's also something I think that we'll talk about in the next story on our list. She said <laughs> with the subtleties. Oh. <laughs> um, it feels a little bit like maybe it's. It was just the title, or there was just this one little idea, and so we get all of this atmosphere, and it builds and builds and builds and builds, and you're so in it. And imagine you're on this great roller coaster, and then it goes, and there's just like this little tiny dip, and it's done. Yeah, and it just, yeah. it. I wish that I that the young Stephen King had. I don't know. Somebody in his life that would go like, nah, not this one. Tabby, no, where were you? You yeah. need another draft of this one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the way that I always describe this story is it's both too short and too long mm-hmm. because it just, um, the, it feels very rushed as it goes along. The way he, the structure of it, I think is is good to a degree in just the sense that he'll just be like, and I'm in the classroom. Like, mm-hmm. he pivots scenes um, without breaks and um, it'll just be suddenly he's in the classroom and he's teaching and suddenly he's at home with his wife and suddenly he's doing this and it moves at a fast pace but at the same time it feels underdeveloped while also but then you get the world building which makes it feel overdeveloped but then you get they barely lead into um, the fact that he pulls upon a satanic ritual to (laughs) combat these guys Um, it's like it's both rushed and um, languid at the same time that's a good point because I remember when his wife gets killed that it's so rushed which I also hate that she gets killed because she's like so sympathetic and it's just I feel like they could they could get to where they need to without that um but there's this part in the hospital where he goes to the hospital and he sees um one of them I think Davey or David as the orderly and he has blood on him and I'm like wait so it was implied that she alright so they probably ran her off the road right or did they kill her in a cab I can't even remember but is it implied that he was at the hospital and like offed her there it's just it's so confusing I don't know or is it just it's vague because then they prank phone call him yeah Yeah, it's weird they prank phone call him and pretty much say that you know she exploded like a pigeon getting shot so I, it seems like she, she shot she her yeah, who knows? and see I, I like what you just said the idea of pranking if I, I <laughs> wish that but I it's like I wish that they, it had eased into like um, the actual carnage more mm-hmm. and they played with the idea that these guys are bullies you yeah. know I love the way King writes bullies I love that greasers are always bullies yeah it's great I love and that. because I think that's from him growing up but it's like I wanted to see them more I mean you did a little bit and I, I always like how Chip who's sort of the bully initially is initially is you know then like these guys are too crazy for me you know yeah. but um, I, I, I wanted to see more of the sense that these are you know 
jerks rather than psychopaths because I think that plays into the ideas that you were saying, Dan, about the anxieties of teaching. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, King taught for a while. um, And so I think that he was drawing, you know, he probably wrote this when he was teaching because he wrote a lot of these when he was in his 20s and when he was younger. And this does feel like a story that a young person wrote. It just feels, uh, you know, um, I just wanted to see more, uh, you know, I don't know. I I didn't want them to be so evil right away. Another big problem, this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Dan, about how you don't like the fact that his wife gets killed because she's very sympathetic. And I usually love grim in my horror or even films. I love the ending of the adaptation of The Mist, for example. I know that's very polarizing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But this is so grim. He loses his wife. He loses fingers. He loses his mind, essentially, especially by the end. And then he brings back a demon that's not quite his brother and then at yeah. the end, the the dead demon not brother says, "You know, I'll be back for you later." It's just, it's just nasty. It's just yeah. like what 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 is this? Such you know? a nasty oh, story. It, it just it comes off as if like at that point he, um, you know, like when you start playing Tetris or when you play a game of Tetris. And you pretty much just like absolutely fumbled the whole goddamn level. You just start stacking, and just start stacking up, and you're like, Ugh! and you still are like kind of like desperately trying to put bricks over the other side, even though in your head you're just like, just let it go, you know, <laughs> get or whatever. I feel like the go ending outside. of this book is a lot like that, where he's just like, uh, uh, and, 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 and then the demon fell, <laughs> fell on him. And it's like it's, it's not bad enough that he has you know the fingers and his wife dead, but oh, there's a bad demon that's gonna follow him around forever. Isn't that crazy? Ah, they come back. Like it's it's just. Yeah, this is a garbage story. So here's a question. Were there any, let's venture into the cemetery, were there any moments that were actually scary in this? Uh, One of the scariest moments for me was when he finds out that the girl from his class has been killed. Yeah. And just the way that they describe that about her maybe jumping or being pushed off of the roof, and then they maybe saw some kids running it was just very vivid and very real and 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 that was when the story was still good to me because you know you're wondering well maybe she did just commit suicide maybe this is in his head and he's just like projecting all this stuff um but it really creeped me out um yeah there is an unnerving quality to the disappear the the death or disappearance of all the students. I remember, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Chip. They say he just disappeared, right? Yeah, his stepfather. I think he yeah. ran away. I, I got the idea that he like hightailed it. That he well, I, I like the ambiguity yeah, of it. You know, sure. I think that's really neat, and I think that the the three greasers who come back do cut sort of a cutting, imposing sort of presence, if only because um, I think. If there's one thing King really conveys, it's that the main character is genuinely scared mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, and it, and, it, and that's why it's a, such a bummer that they get dispatched so easily at the end. <laughs> um, as far as the cemetery goes, though, it's a really minor detail, but um, I haven't seen the movie in forever, which I know is horrible. But I remember when they showed, at least in the, the box, they, they still look very much like the 50s greasers. And it was really unnerving to me that King made a point of saying that, no, they're wearing like 70s clothes and they their hair is longer. And that really does play on this idea of... He doesn't know. I mean, he knows, but it's easier for him to convince himself that they're not. And, like, just them looming in the hallways was, like, yeah, they felt like a palpable force for a bunch of it. Um, You guys touched upon some pretty eerie moments of the story. Again, like, the whole paranoia of of recognizing somebody but not quite recognizing him. Am I losing it or not? But there was a little part that reminded me of something from uh, Alvin Schwartz's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. <laughs> and it happens when um, Jim is talking to this old cop who um, was there for him when he was Sir younger. Who's also creepy. He's like, oh, you still like those pies? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm now reading about pie a la mode right now. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. But that's not it. That's not it. So <laughs> Jim says, um, so the kids who come back claim to be from Milford High. So Jim, this is the following exchange. 
There is one more thing. Is there a Milford High in Stratford? Not that I know of. Well, that's what I... Only thing... Name of Milford around here is Milford Cemetery. <laughs> out on the Ash Heights Road, and no one ever graduated from there. Dun, 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 <laughs> Very Scooby Dooish. I like that. That was fun. A little, fun. A little like Pee Wee Herman, uh, Pee Wee's Bigger Inch was like, oh, Large Marge. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. very, it was very Large Marge. Cuts to a, a, a photo. I, I, did, I, I did think like the dream, um, the dreamy stuff that he had was really well written. Yeah. Um, like there's one passage that's on uh, page 232 of the Anchor Books version. Um, where he starts going back to his brother and like the whole scene that happened, um, and he yeah. this is obviously something that an incident that plays around in his head and head. And it's just like you know the demons that haunt him. And King writes, "In the dream, the overpass loomed closer and closer, and you began to feel dread struggling in your throat like a big black bird. You saw everything: the burrits neon sign, just starting to stutter on and off, the flakes of rust on the green overpass, the glitter of broken glass in the cinders of the railroad bed." a broken bike rim in the gutter. And it's just that those like little images of snapshots things. He's so good at doing that. Mm-hmm. And you know, even in his like the, you know, drabbiest sort of like stories, he still has those nuggets of just like, damn it. He, this is like, this is why we love him. You know, like. <laughs> and even, I, yeah, I think like, even though the, this is an unpopular ending, um, I found myself genuinely pretty freaked out when, cause I like the idea that his brother, um, the demon manifests as his brother and that to dispatch these guys. I And I also love the moment where, and I think this is because I actually watched the movie before I reread the story. And the ending of the movie, which we'll talk about later though, is very sentimental. And it's mm-hmm. when the brother comes back, it is his brother. And it's sort of a reconciliation moment. I like in the book though, that what he summoned back isn't really his brother. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, he has that moment where his dead brother, you know, f- like, this innocent version of his young murdered brother looks at him and instead of like a sweet moment of reconciliation the face transforms into something demonic that to me is really kind of scary especially and it ties into the idea the themes he played with in pet cemetery the idea that if you're bringing something back from the dead it's going to be warped it's going to be different somehow in ways that are somewhat sinister you need to let things that are dead stay dead but Hey, sometimes they come back, am I right? Hey. hey! There's one more very important thing I have to point out, too. Yeah. He, um, King identifies, uh, I believe one of the greasers' names, yeah, David Garcia, as having negroid lips. That's oh, not, I he did. says that at least, um, he uses that same phrase in trucks, and he uses it in a couple others. It's you know, in past books. You know him. where he gets it from is from H.P. Lovecraft, who was a raging racist yeah. and would, and I, I don't. Look, different time period. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just saying. I can't know, it's, speak it's important to, to acknowledge. Yeah. Uh, no, no, absolutely. These things in the past. And I, and and I th- how dated they've become. Exactly. Obviously. And like you know, I'm not. Of course, like we should not use that word. But I, on top of being, obviously, like pretty racist. I, I, I wonder if he got it from Lovecraft because like mm. anytime Lovecraft describes like a fish monster or something, because and and with Lovecraft, the intention was very sinister. Not sinister. You know what I mean? Racist. Um, you know, he describes his Negro lips, and and that did. That did come up, and also too because like, I think there's a black guy in trucks, and like, oh yeah, anytime, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about. We'll that get to him, yeah. But yeah, um, a good, a good eye. So now we're gonna go from one of the longest stories in uh, Night Shift to one of the shortest stories, uh, a little story called The Lawnmower Man. Terrible title, am I right? <laughs> just, just really awful. Uh, so the lawnmower man has what seems like a really thoughtful, smart hook, which is that a mundane, everyday 
tragedy in the event of having one's lawn mowed, a dog chasing a cat into a lawnmower, so horrifies a man's family that he stops taking care of his lawn when he <laughs> finally decides to turn that meadow into a yard again. He uh, winds up in uh, Bacchanalia, essentially. <laughs> um, Naturally. What a yeah, great story. As one does. Uh, and you know, I have a feeling that for a few minutes here, we're about to talk a lot of shit about the lawnmower man. But when I sat down to reread this, I went back to my little seven-year-old brain and tried to write down all the things I remembered really vividly. <laughs> and that final image... Before he ends up in the birdbath, I remember it. It's like I saw a film adaptation of it that doesn't actually exist. Yeah. I, can, I could see it in my head from when I was a teeny tiny child. Uh, before we do trash the lawnmower man, uh, I'm going to defend the lawnmower man. A little <laughs> I really kind of like it. it. Yeah. Where are you can, it's yeah. not, you can't, so you can't say like, well, the great short stories of all time. It's right up there. Yeah. Lawnmower man, a good man is hard to find, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Like, this is not, <laughs> it's not that kind of story. And yet, there's something about it that really still kind of works. I think it, so yeah, as you said, it, what is slowly revealed is that it's not just this creepy lawnmower man who likes to eat grass behind his self-mowing mower while naked. He's doing that because he's a goat, like a, 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 a satyr, a satyr, yeah. he has cloven hooves, and he even goes as far to say his uh, boss is Pan, Pan, right, and that he actually would, would let um, the guy off the hook at the end if the guy didn't call the cops on, but instead he becomes the sacrifice. I think all that is explaining it a little too much. Like, I'm like, I don't need to know that this guy's a fucking satyr. I don't need to know that he works yeah. for a pagan Greek god or whatever else. I, so I think that does definitely hurt the story and just makes the concept a little too outlandish. I think if Stephen King had just stuck to the idea of this really conservative guy being freaked out by this dude who crawls on his belly naked and eats grass and dead gophers, that would be awesome. I don't need to know why the lawnmower man's doing that. Like, that's creepy enough. Then he calls the cops on him and the lawnmower man kills him. I don't need to know that he's a satyr. I, th I think, I, for me, the only fault of this story is over-explaining and just getting into a concept that's very, very silly. Well, it's such a short story, and then, so the over-explaining is that much more apparent. Yeah. And that much more, <laughs> even yeah. annoying. It's just, for yeah. me, I like, I love the surrealistic uh, qualities of it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the, the spookiest parts for me are just this guy with hooves, I guess. And green and, cubes. And, and just stuffing grass into his mouth. Like, I don't really care about the lawnmower coming to life and, you know, yeah. killing anybody. But that's the, that, that stuff always disturbed me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I actually like all th that he's a fucking goat and shit, only because it's like it go this story it, it goes further than you think it's going to oh it's nuts this was a story that only could have been written on major amounts of drugs yeah. and that's what I love about it is that it I don't well I don't love it it's not a good story com especially compared to the rest of it it's just it's like it's it's so insane, and I and I like that it you know the themes are so apparent. It's about like you know some conservative being scared of like you know paganistic orgy like. And, well, he probably wrote this in the sixties, right? Yeah. So it's like you know it's like it was probably like his parents like reacting to you know uh, the hippie movement and like kids <laughs> fucking and doing drugs all the time. Yeah, and uh, Stephen King was a huge fan of Arthur Machen's eighteen ninety four, the Great God Pan, the Great God Pan. Where, uh, and he also regards it as one of like the greatest horror stories ever written. So this is kind of like one of those little passion stories. Yeah. So you can't get too much on about it. <laughs> I mean, it's a weirdy story. But uh, also, um, many people thought that Pan died to give way to the birth of Christ, which is why a lot of people view Satan with hooves and animal attributes 
was the lawnmower man Satan. Oh, know? that's like, interesting. And, and I feel like, you know, this is his kind of like ode to that story. And whether it hit the mark or not, I don't know. I don't think it did. I'm surprised King did, did just come out and say, you know, he's Satan. <laughs> yeah. He explained literally everything else that had to be Well, explained. I just, it's like, um, why a lawnmower, man? Like, yeah. I guess, like, it's like, how did this... Because nature. How did this, I guess maybe it's like this idea of Pan, how did it trans, how did he connect these two things? Well, not to get too, like, English major No, please but do. But to me, it feels like a combination of looking at mythology and then actual pastoral, right? So pastoral writing. That's interesting, And by combining them into this weird, also fascination with sentient machinery, powerful sentient machinery. Ah. Which is a big thing in Night Shift with a lot, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's about sex and about um, being willing to open yourself up to these, like, primal experiences yeah but it's also horrifying i don't think that we're supposed to view the lawnmower man as a positive figure but i also don't think he's satan right he's a slave essentially mm-hmm. yeah yeah. No, yeah absolutely well and do, do you guys think it's weird is is part of why it's drawing for you is that okay he's a satyr and, and whatever else and like i said i don't think he's wholly evil because if um I mean, the only reason the main dude gets killed is because he calls the cops on him. Because he's a total square. He's a square, yeah. <laughs> but I guess, I guess the, um, I guess like maybe the jarring thing is that okay, he's this mythical creature, but he's still even throughout, even once he talks up Pan and you see his hooves, he's still talking like a like a main mook, you know, like oh hey buddy, uh, blah, yeah. blah, and that that's like kind of weird. He's like he's still very much a lawnmower man. Well, it, they also reference him being a sort of archetypal working class sweat of his brow man mm-hmm. that are that Harold is that his name yeah. finds intimidating yeah. and kind of affronting there's that reference to him intentionally deepening his voice when he's speaking to him and talking yeah. about the lawn because somehow he's intimidated by like construction workers manliness does he say something like oh he's the type of guy who would borrow five bucks for you then stick it to your wife or something yeah. <laughs> you're just like yeah. oh okay yeah. Uh, yeah and yet there's this there's also this undercurrent and this is one of the rare stories in this uh, book where we're gonna get to have a little pound cake section yeah. oh, <laughs> where this grass like, cake yeah. repeated Subtle fetishization of his daughter and her skimpy sweaters and her crush on the lawnmower boy and going to the passion pits. And then they talk about his wife's girdle, her playtex girdle, and her buck teeth. Well, one of King's favorite things to do, in which I've um, becoming a noted scholar in this uh, (laughs) section, is he loves to uh, parallel um, people whether in in sexual you know it's sort of experiences with like animals yeah and like you know like for example like <laughs> he says on uh 310 again with the uh anchor books uh edition uh, <laughs> he says after a week of listening to his wife moan and gobble in the next bed and like I, i'm reading the stand right now and he uses the gobbling gobble. again with like with, when he's talking about how larry like meets up with uh, a woman that like turns out to be someone that really oh where they mix music. like milk and vodka that yeah, one. yeah yeah and um jesus how the hell do you remember that? You're <laughs> Right now, it's like the smallest little detail, but it is true. Yeah, he he he, he, he did the milk, the milk and vodka right in there. Um, but it, yeah, is that that animalistic quality of like mm-hmm. of referring to it? And there's a lot of it in uh, another story that we're that's way down the list on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's very like off putting, mm-hmm. and I um, I don't know. It, it's just it's a, it's it's 
it's, it's odd. It's like it comes from a really weird place, and I, I still don't understand where he's get where he's going with that. Well, so, so many of the characters, and even in some of the really good stories in Night Shift, I mean, there there is like an ugliness to pretty much all of them. Even the yeah. even the even like the good guys, like in in the ledge. I mean, he's kind of a scumbag, even the main dude. And when yeah. you think about it, I mean, yeah, he treats everyone just has a very ugly. Um, passive aggressive worldview. I feel like you know even yeah. even the most sympathetic characters. So yeah, I, um, I I think this is one of the worst stories <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. ever read in my entire life. There's, <laughs> there, there's not even like there's not even like anything really to glean from it in terms of like because it's not you can't even like make a class thing because it's not like they're, they're, this guy's both like they're both from like because you could have it like be like this fear of like ha- hiring like outside help and, yeah. and this guy coming in but there's not even that because the guy's like also just like. He's kind of like a lower class guy. Yeah, also. he likes drinking beer, like watching things. baseball. So it's not. I just don't really. It just seems like like exactly what Randall was saying. Like, it is such a drug induced like <laughs> bullshit story <laughs> that like I, I just I, I mean I remember I read it ten years ago and I remember getting I remember flipping to the page of this and just like on the reread now like a, you know a few weeks back and just being like oh fuck yeah. <laughs> I'll just say I mean there's again. honestly not a whole lot to say because King spells it all out for us in the ten twelve pages you know it takes to write it. Um, but I will say, it's very original. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, for better or worse, it's it's an original. I guess what I find, story. yeah, what I find interesting is a lot of these stories in Night Shift. Many of them were published in uh, Cavalier magazine, yeah. which was a joke book. Yeah, yeah, it was an adult adult magazine, um, like a trashier Playboy. And uh, so I almost feel like this story is so like base is the word I'm going to yeah. use. Like it seems like a good fit. Like it's a story you'd read in between jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. While you're waiting to recuperate? Yeah, like in between. Like, I got ten minutes to recuperate. Yeah, I mean, you're like the lawnmower man. This, by the way, is not the female masturbation experience. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like I... It's graveyard shift, obviously. Well, well, with the way he kind of, like, looks over uh, his daughter or his wife, yeah. his wife, it's kind of... It would be a really good, um, you know, fodder for Trump. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, one of the things that I find so frustrating about this, not in a way that's not dissimilar from sometimes they come back so I think there are these little seeds of what could actually be a really good story oh, totally. like the first sentence is in previous in previous years Harold Parquette had always taken pride in his lawn yeah. and it's this you immediately have this image of pristine suburbia and yet somehow there's this house that's gone to seed and you don't know why and then that's almost immediately followed up by the cat being chased into the mower and then the daughter pukes a lapful of cherry Kool-Aid yeah that's good into her own lap and then goes inside to change even though she's crying over the cat because she has a crush on the boy who mows the lawn so she has to still look good so she's sobbing over the mangled guts of a cat but making sure that her ass looks right yeah you that's, know that's it's fun. there's all of that stuff i think is really interesting and then with the over explaining and the by cersei yes. it like, just goes it's a nut bar story <laughs> Made by a nut bar writer <laughs> like, who was at his nut bar most. Yeah, like, you know, I just uh. also he's drinking Coors Light. Yeah, Why? Yeah. no, Coors Lights suck. No, yeah, um, well, that's our thoughts on the lawnmower, <laughs> <laughs> which clearly could have been number twenty for us based yeah. on how negative we were. I think I, think I upvoted it pretty hard. Yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, Dan was the true outlier. <laughs> it was, that affected it was a little this, bit uh, higher making. on mine, I think, too. But um, well, then let's move on to the next one. This is another very short story. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also kind of underdeveloped and um, but interesting, and that's a story called a uh, battleground. 
Yeah, so the hook of Battleground is that we have this hitman who um, has just offed a toy maker, which is very strange <laughs> to me. And whoever his loved ones are at the toy maker, I think it's his mom, um, sends a, uh, a G.I. Joe footlocker full of sentient little soldiers who proceed to attack the guy. Um, as, you know, on a purely narrative level, it's kind of interesting. It's neat to see this guy who's very skilled in combat have to square off against these um, these little toys. And it really does get at how frightening that would be. I mean, I love the idea that the helicopter comes at him and slices mm-hmm. his finger. And it and I, I like that the bullets don't kill him and all that. Um, so I, I do I do like um, the action quality element of it. It's very reminiscent of a Richard Matheson story uh, called uh, it's called Prey. It has the voodoo doll. Have you guys seen that movie? Oh, oh the well, seventies tri- movie, Trilogy yeah. of Terror. Trilogy of Terror. Yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of that in terms of how they go after him. And My main issue with this is once again the ending. It just kind of ends. But what, what are your guys thoughts? I, the thing I, I I think I had this ranked a little higher myself. Yeah, I because had yeah, because higher. the thing is, this does not take itself seriously no, at no, all. Yeah, from the no. beginning right down to the final button where it says, "Oh, also featuring a nuclear uh, and, warhead." I and, think that's I think the button is maybe my problem just a little bit because so many of of these stories have these like gotcha moments, and to me, it's just kind of like I don't I like that I like that the soldiers end up killing the guy. I like that his ego gets the best of him, <laughs> but I just kind of hate that like. Oh my god, what happened up there? Like, oh, there's a thermonuclear weapon. It just seems like such a lame I will say, I though, I, that's what I love about <laughs> your typical scary story, is they can kind of yeah. get away with those, it was never there, or, yeah. oh, or it was Milford Cemetery from Sometimes They Come Back. So, yeah. I don't know, I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree with you, Justin. I, 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 <laughs> I, this was probably the fastest read I had in the mm-hmm. book, just because it rolls so fast through, through the, the action. I mean, you're basically just watching, like, the best parts of Die Hard, like yeah. I mean, I mean, he gets out the window. He goes out the, you know, he goes through the, he has to go through the bathroom. And he like fixes his, you know, his wounds and everything. Like I, I, I had so much fun with this story, and I and I think that it's it's it shows King a different side of King mm-hmm. that knows that he doesn't have to. I mean, because there's like some horrific moments in this in the yeah, sense, just because the idea of it being like, oh my God, they're alive or whatever. But it's also like it's a strictly action story. I yeah. mean, like, yeah. it, it is a total action story, and like. I think he 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 really sells it, and 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 I and I I agree with you on the button for the most part because I we always joke about that, yeah. you know. And, it's and just not a like, big enough twist. For it's me, like I it's guess. like a, next time you're driving type thing. <laughs> but like I really <laughs> think it, I think it earns it here because because there is such a um, it's so ludicrous yeah. that that at the end it had to have some sort of kicker that yeah. you're gonna go with oh. Got me against you. Yeah, you know, yeah and, and, and my only note for this story was uh, sucked. Uh, I, I disagree. Oh, yeah. I disagree. I disagree. disagree. No, and the thing is, is that you know I'm also reading this for the first time now, and so like all I could think of was like small soldiers and Toy Story, <laughs> and Toy Story. it doesn't take itself as seriously as it should. I mean, if it was really dark and gritty, like some, it, something else is that we'll talk about later when we get to the adaptations. But I just felt like. It, it, it didn't do it for me. I couldn't take it seriously. And I know it's, you're not supposed to take it seriously, but I felt like that was the problem. The, the issue is this, Mac, is that the bomb lines, this came out in the 70s, and those movies you mentioned came out decades later. So you, you, you've got to look at it as, oh, this was actually way before Toy Story, Toy Story happened. Toy Story! Or <laughs> Small Soldiers. And two... And two, I've already lost my train of thought. So <laughs> yeah, I, oh, you go, you go, you go. Uh, it does not, however, predate Babes in Toyland. I will have. Oh, that's very true. The horrifying Babes in Toyland. <laughs> that, that freaked me out. That's not a. 
like, then there was the there was the like eighties remake with Drew Barrymore oh, that you could true. get at McDonald's. And the nineties alt rock band. I um so I'm one of the other people that just did not care for this one at all. I'm not sure I would say sucked end of list. That was very trumping of my brother and yeah. I just how dare you? No, it would have been sad, and then like six exclamation points would have been very sad. I um. I just, I don't care about the action at all. I'm more, for, first of all, I, I shouldn't get caught up in details, but this dude is a terrible hitman. <laughs> you get your orders and you dispose of them in the garbage disposal? Yeah, I Come agree. on. $10,000, you should be making way more money than that, yeah. even with inflation. Anyway, I just don't care about the action, and it fe- felt to me like if this is a story about revenge... Why isn't there any revenge in it, right? Like, if this is someone getting his comeuppance after a lifetime spent doing evil deeds, it just it, it just didn't. Well, he gets me. killed though. I don't know. That's revenge. Uh, it's yeah, a spy versus spy thing. It's it's it's, it's but, but it comes Ooh, down. That's to it. it's a like, point. You know, you don't really have to think too much. It's just one side versus the other. And my my thing is, look, I grew up uh, <laughs> loving the boxcar children, and yes, so I'm going to relate to this. I want to relate this to the boxcar children, <laughs> oh and this is how I'm going to do it. I love how um, Benny and the in the and, uh, and his brother and sister Violet and I, I can't remember the other one Henry maybe um, and then there's another fourth one. I think all the kids name boxy. All, all the kids were they lived in this boxcar children and they had to like they they had to kind of resort to their means and they had to you know they find they find like the the, the different like uh, spoons and the forks and everything like off in the distance and they come back and they forage and they come back they have to survive and they have to go on their means. Now our <laughs> our character here. In Battleground <laughs> reminds me of that sort of desperation of survival, being like, resourceful, like having to be resourceful, having to use your means like around, like the round, you know, the, the, whatever you have at your disposal, and and and, and, and I credit the Boxcar Children <laughs> for wiring that into my head because I've always loved that in every story growing up, and even now. And so I had a blast watching this character trying to figure out how the fuck he's going to solve, like, to defeat these little army men. And I mean, think about it. You have to really, like, yes, it's a ludicrous premise. But also, you have to think about the fact that he's never, like, never in, in a million years did this this hitman ever think, like, well, i got to train for fighting these little toys. <laughs> like, so he has to kind of rethink the way he has to fight these things all, all in one second. Like, and I, I think that sort of mentality is kind of fun if you really just buy into it like but i i could also see it in your point where it's like why am i reading (laughs) like about a stupid story about like a a hitman we have no idea about and that you know has this threat that's crazy first of all i'm not familiar with boxcar children but it's great oh you're lost but i I, only boxcar only boxcar racer as as we all know tom (laughs) delong's side project from blink 182 that's another podcast we'll be doing in a couple weeks he loves that but i will say a lot of this is also a precursor to um (laughs) that's very funny (laughs) a lot of this is a precursor to the full moon films um in which the puppets kind of come back to enact revenge upon those who did yeah, well, I guess it is. It is well, very similar. And to again, you, as we know, the great puppet master um, was robbed of its best picture Oscar. <laughs> I think it lost out to the Last Emperor. <laughs> I <laughs> have, uh, but you know, I, I we'll, have we'll all the puppet masters. Uh, you do figures. have all the puppet masters. I'm, I'm always scared by the guy in the red sweater because he has a small head. Kind of like that's weird. Yeah, and I, I just felt like it was hard for me because. It's coming. It came right after like Boogeyman and Gray Matter, which I thought were like really like pretty scary, mm-hmm. weird stories. Very visceral. And, and then all yeah. of a sudden, it's just kind of like this like ridiculously light. Like I mean, yeah, the the, the violence is there, but it I, I just didn't care. I was like, let's get to the next story. I um 
really love that you managed to connect this to the Boxcar Children tonight. Um, and I will say that as a person who also loved the Boxcar Children growing up, if he had had a fridge made out of stone behind a waterfall, I would have absolutely loved this story. I, that, oh my god, I totally forgot about the resource. I love the that fridge. That is so good. I love the fridge. Um, one little uh, fun detail about the story. Um, first off, I do like that they pass them the sheet of paper that says surrender because I always, we always talk about this with Halloween like oh we love we love imagining Michael Myers like cutting out the, the yeah. holes in the sheets like I love the uh, get these little guys like ah, surrender <laughs> like t- talking like the underpants gnomes on South Park like a general like left yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right yeah for you know when he's holding like a crayon or something like that <laughs> but like what would have happened if he surrendered like are they gonna like march him to like the, the one? <laughs> Well, the, the, they get on a they get on a battleship like from the game battleship. Yeah. So and, like, cross the ocean. Something about his response where he writes nuts. That was a real battle response. Um, I I should have pulled up the exact war. I think it was something in Germany where oh, they, wow. they asked the Germans to surrender and they actually wrote that and they showed it. Oh, so kind of a cool little history yeah. thing. But um, yeah, no, all they do these like this crown that's big. There are these, like three guys like manning up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think like. Um, I think in terms of what's actually, in terms of the cemetery and what we find actually scary here, there's not a lot, I'd say, because it's more of an action story, like you're saying, and it's it's fun. fun. Although, I think that me personally, and we touched on, like, the Puppet Master movies, and, and, you know, if you even look at, like, (laughs) if you look at, like, other movies where puppets are toys, that's a running theme in horror, is the idea. Like, you know, I think of one of the the scariest parts of Tales from the Hood for me is, like, when all the the little dolls Mm -hmm. come to life and, and, like, murder the guy. There's, There's something really kind of scary about, like, a bunch of tiny things together slowly tearing you down. And, and to that point, it's scarier even when you don't know how they're going to be stopped. Yeah. Because you, for all intents and purposes, there's no way that they could stop because there's not, they're not like... They're not alive. They're yeah. not alive. Although the one just leave that little purple smudge on the wall. Yeah, so that's like, are they, are they like yeah. Bloody, yeah, You know, know, I didn't actually make this connection until right now, but one of the things I was really terrified of as a child was the beginning of the Nutcracker. Uh-huh. When I don't know, oh. did any did your parents make any of you go to the ballet? Yeah, yeah, I've okay, seen good. it. Well, like where the Nutcracker becomes big, like yeah, it's where small, and then yeah. the rats also become. And you oh, get yeah. eventually, you realize, oh well, she shrunk. It's not that they got bigger, but the rats with the knives and mm-hmm. the Nutcracker and everything. All of a sudden, you're in this horrorscape. It just it's all mixed up with like heffalumps and woozles in my head, nice. and it woozles. just the idea that these items of innocence could somehow turn on you and become yeah. horrifying yeah. is really upsetting. And I don't like it's just maybe because he's a grown up and it just seems like he should be able to just, just like stomp yeah. on them all, really yeah. Yeah. and then that everything would be solved. Put them in the microwave. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a really... I, n- I never thought we'd have this much to say about Battleground. <laughs> and I never thought the boxcar children would make an appearance, but I'm really glad they did. How about yeah. boxcar racer? <laughs> Bye. Oh, boy. Hey, uh, Tom DeLong is, uh, just got honored by UFO Society for his uh, for his work. Well, I don't think 18 is a bad slot for Battleground. Yeah. It's not bad, you know? It's I, a great collection of stories. They're not all going to be number one. <laughs> yeah. Even though Battleground maybe should be number one. And then I'm another... Oh, no. I'd say another story that we'd probably say isn't number one is a story called The Mangler. At number 17. Oh, The Mangler. (laughs) (laughs) So this, for me, was another one. Uh, This follows a police detective who is investigating a string of accidents where an industrial laundry press is involved. (laughs) scary. No, however, I will say this, for me, was just like uh, Sometimes They Come Back, where I felt like the first half was actually pretty Mm -hmm. scary. Yep. Uh, You know, ultimately, he slowly realizes that they're not coincidences. That the machine is in fact possessed by a demon. 
Uh, he discovers that a combination of deadly nightshade, the blood of a virgin, and a live bat are the cause of the black magic. Once again, the oh, black magic. So funny. So easy. A running so theme easy. of these not-so-good stories. Um, after his friend Mark attempts to exorcise the demon, they actually do more harm than good. The demon is released. He chases them around through the streets, and it's like a really ridiculous ending. However... I felt like the first half of this was really good when it was just kind of like, we don't know why this is happening, but these people are getting caught and killed by this machine. There's a story that his friend, uh, who was it? Roger Martin tells a story about this kid who gets trapped in an icebox. Uh, and they just thought like it inherently trapped him because it wanted to or something. Yeah. And it was just, there's kind of this fear. And I remember being a kid and having this unnatural fear of inanimate objects kind maybe having a presence or alive or a haunted yeah. to them. Um, you know what, what's great about this story is that uh, it reminds me of um, O.J. Simpson's uh, oh uh, cameo and um, or his, his appearances in the Naked Gun films. Uh-huh. And specifically... <laughs> Wait, how so? When you know how he just always manages to just step and fall into <laughs> the it, right yeah. thing? That is literally the exact conceit for why this thing exists. Yeah, that's it's like true. Whoa, there's blood, virgin blood, and, uh, and these bad. other things. Yeah. Like I mean it's just it's it, it like the fact that he over explained it to that level was where I, I, I like I just took the book and I threw it. I was just like, you're <laughs> yeah. kidding me. Like this is a joke. Needless to say, things don't turn out well for for our intrepid uh, detective <laughs> Slash, uh, Norbert. slash exorcist. Or for Norbert. Yeah. In, Norbert, real, in yeah. real life or in the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just need to say, I think if he had just gone the route and, and asked good old Jim Norman from Sometimes They Come Back for his book Raising Demons, yeah, exactly. this could have had a whole different outcome. You know, you, you, you cut off a finger, you get a cat, the end of the laundry machine. That's well, I, I think, and I think it, it has that exact same problem as Sometimes They Come Back. Although I do, I will say, I do like the final image of like this laundry press somehow walking down the street. Because it's implied that the machine is actually... It, it pulls which itself is, out of Which the is end, so yeah. crazy, it, it's good to me. But yeah. um, it's that thing again of, you know, I, I love the idea of this laundry, or was ironing press, whatever it is, flat iron press, that is, is killing people... I don't need to know that it's possessed by an actual demon. I mean, that's the thing well, again. Like, I, I love it if it's these two cops just figuring out if this thing is actually a sentient being, and then it breaks apart and chases them. Like, I, I that is wacky enough and good enough for me without all the the voodoo shit. Or not voodoo, but, you know, Satanism. Yeah. I mean, the basic idea, and even that last <laughs> image of them hearing the, the press oh, it's great. marching yeah. down the street, it's very Books Excellent. of Blood, Clive Barker. Yeah. And I like that. But again, every, that, that that last, maybe half or last quarter is just yeah here well, we go again with the the black magic you know and it's funny because like i found myself weirdly defending this story last night i was out with a friend and we were talking about night shift and he goes and he goes is that the one with the mangler in it and i'm yeah. like yeah and he goes he goes you know you look at salem's lot that's a town that is haunted by things you know yeah. he's like you look at the stand and that's a plague it's a world these are, yeah. yeah these are things you can't avoid why not just not go into the laundromat <laughs> yeah. anymore? Yeah. And well, I was like, and I said, I go, not well, even... it pulls itself out of the ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's not even a washing machine. It's like this, like a fl- like I, I've never even seen one in real life. I don't think like an I, like a laundry press. Like I'm not going to use one of those things. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I this isn't this is one that I have mixed feelings on. Mm-hmm. I think I agree that the beginning is really strong. 
Uh, and the end is bullshit. Was it Stevie? Can we blame this on Stevie Nicks? Is it maybe not drugs? Was he just listening to a lot of <laughs> oh, it? Wait, what? Uh, wait, Black why? Magic Woman? Oh, yeah. gotcha. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Gold Dust Woman is Stevie Yeah, Nicks, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But the, there's Make witchy... Anyway. Yes. Um, but one of the sections that really stuck out to me is when uh, George Stanner is losing uh, his yes. arms. Yes. Uh, and there's a sentence here that I found particularly interesting based on what we've already talked about. And it's... Dement made a moaning, gobbling noise in his throat oh, for some reason. Not really. That last part's not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, aside from the gobbling, uh, I love that part too. Oh, that was awful. so scary. In he describes way. in it his elbow uh, snapping, and I remember just like yeah. grimacing <laughs> on the train while I was reading yeah. it. And so there are some really effective um, uh, body horror stuff going on. Yeah. Right? Does when he live caught or not, George? Um, I can't remember. And then cut it off. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mike. I, I um, I will, I will say um, again, this is a classic case of of King having characters that are just so willing to suspend disbelief. Yeah, like, so fast. Oh, they oh, accept it right away. Oh, like, yeah. like literally, like like he's talking. You know, um, like the Hunton's talking to the inspector or talking to Martin, and he's like, oh, you know, I have this icebox thing. And it's like, damn it, that's it. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and then like, and then what's great also is that. Like King, the way he writes this is, I, I don't, I feel like he, um, he usually, I mean, King is always a, a really good grasp on writing, being able to write small town folk. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. I definitely. felt like these characters walked out of like a high school play. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, there's a part where there's like, um, or not even like a high school play, but like, you know, a CBS show. Yeah. Like a cop show. It's just like, there's one part on a, on page 121 on the, the uh, Anchor Books edition um, <laughs> in which he goes, you're describing an impossible accident, Hunton said. No, only one we don't understand. <laughs> he paused, hesitated, and then said, I will tell you one thing, Hunton. It's just like, it's so just uh, it's chestnut high dialogue. Dr- like I high think, drama for a sentence. Yeah, story. I think like when I think about what's actually scary or effective here, I mean, I think that ties into the appeal of the story, which is that this isn't a good story, but it's very gruesome Mm -hmm. in sort of satisfying ways. And I think it's, I loved it when I was a kid because when I was a kid, I loved the gruesome shit. And um, I love sort of, you know, the elbow snapping, people's arms getting ripped off. Like uh, the idea that when someone was pulled through it or whatever, whatever got pulled through it would be folded. Mm -hmm. Like that to me was like, or, you know, whatever approximation of that the human body can endure. That to me is like the most satisfying part of the story. Yeah. I, I was going to say, there are some genuinely chilling moments, and we, t- we did talk about the ending, um, and the thing that really stuck out for me is once someone goes through it, that the uh, canvas, like the, the mm-hmm. I guess the conveyor belt, just goes red. Yeah. That was really, that was super creepy to me. Um, the sentence that got me was, uh, the mixed stench of blood and steam rose yeah. in the air. Mm. He's really good with smells in general, uh, but that one, it. because you can kind of see it, yeah, yeah. and then you can hear it, because the steam, it's just an incredibly evocative sentence. I think what would made this story better also is if one of the policemen investigating this was our old friend Bill Hodges. Hodges origin the story. More virile Bill Hodges. What is interesting? Yeah. It does seem like there are like slight connections uh, to certain mm-hmm. King stories. Like the if you think about it, like the refrigerator and it and it, it yeah, Patrick Hoxetter and it. I mean that's kind of you know it's a loose yeah. tie, but it, the, you know. the refrigerator to me in many ways was like just as scary as I thought that was the scariest part. Because so. yeah. because yeah. again they don't have to explain it exactly. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just there, and the stuff that happens is a lot more. 
like it's that it's that thing that's that king does so well where he he creates that realistic urban legend mm-hmm. and that felt very of like something i would hear at like a bar you know some like crazy guy telling yeah. me i'd be going to a weird bar but you know time out yeah time out or yeah right <laughs> i go to lnl over here in chicago yeah. and guy, let me tell you about this icebox yeah. and, uh, you know. um any other thoughts on the mangler i only wish they had made three movies about it <laughs> oh, oh wait they did yeah. and we'll be talking about those in a future episode yeah, <laughs> yeah i think um the mangler like i said i think best remembered as a good source of uh good old-fashioned gore but um not not the sort of thing that's probably going to haunt you in your sleep um fitting at 17 yeah yeah i think that's good neither i'd say would the next story (laughs) um that has sort of a weird reputation based on its film adaptations and i think most people don't remember uh, actually what this story really is like because it's nothing like its film adaptations which is trucks clocking in at 16 yeah and I think with trucks it's it has very it, basically it's just the story of a truck stop sort of in the middle of nowhere um, a motley crew of um, of locals uh, kind of all trapped there and because and they're all hiding out because all these trucks and vehicles and machines bulldozers in general, and right? machines in general have all become sentient and they're all um, basically hovering outside and wanting to run everybody down and no explanation for it is given in the story itself which I love yeah mm-hmm. but which is funny though because in both film adaptations which we'll talk about in a future episode um, they that's the first thing they do almost is like describe what it is but basically the story unfolds with um, uh, you know them just trying to live like wonder do they have the food to survive how long can they outrun this um, they need to get fresh water. Then the question of, oh, well, they'll just run out of gas. But then the horn, the trucks start beeping in Morse code, basically saying, give us gas or we'll kill you. And then in sort of the most uh, bizarre choice, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess that raises an interesting question of like, you know, do you because there's like no way that they would survive because the trucks can easily destroy it. So it's sort of a question of, well, do you die so they'll die off or do you just go give them gas so you can survive? And they go to give them gas. And the story ends with them just pumping gas into all of these trucks and in an endless line, which is pretty eerie to me, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I felt like there this one worked for me on a lot of levels. I thought I did feel kind of frightened for the most part throughout um and, and was it all machines in this version or was yeah it just because the it's all machines because <laughs> um it's funny because the maximum overdrive you see it means everything from like bicycles yeah. to yeah. Like, to pinball but, machines but he does see the airplane and at the end and, and he but wonders then well that's people. why yeah, he wonders yeah that's why i thought it was creepy the ending was creepy was because up until then i just think that they thought that it was just the trucks but like yeah. he starts wondering like well, what's next? Like, mm-hmm. what other machines will be taken kind of thing? Yeah, because, I mean, like, King does a really good job unwrapping this world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a part where they talk about how, oh, Greyhound bus, that's new. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that's new. And um, I think to, to that, like, that's that unwrapping is still going on at the end. Like, mm-hmm. they still don't have a grasp on really how far this goes. Yeah, well, and um, I mentioned this briefly before, but there are several stories in, in Night Shift, uh, Night Surf, uh, Grey Matter even at the end, even one for the road, arguably, where it's sort of characters wondering about how the apocalypse is unfolding. Night yeah. Surf, they're already kind of in it, but I do love at the end of this and, and Grey Matter, which we'll talk about later, um, this idea of just like speculating, like, okay, like him doing the math, him going, okay, mm-hmm. I can pump the gas, uh, even if we, um, but maybe at some point they'll all run down, but wait, are they going to be able to build, 
build factories? Um, yeah. uh, you know, are they can they build factories to build new vehicles? Are they going to pave the swamp? And that kind of like, no, no pun intended. That kind of like steamrolling of of this idea that really freaked me out. I was on an airplane when I read this, and I was just. I thought about the plane thing in the end, and I, I it just it starts making you paranoid in a really cool way. Yeah. Um. And there are some flaws in the story, which we'll, we'll get to. But um. You're like, you who's know, flying this yeah, plane? Yeah, 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 yeah. I go up front. It's just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like a. Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Are we criticizing the last couple sentences? No. No, no, no. Oh, I thought I love you were, it. the way you said. It, I thought you were saying like this. That's no, no. I'm saying he notion. he's on the plane. He's on the oh, plane oh, reading. Okay, I was like, okay. ah, yeah. He runs up and acts like it's like. No, but I was gonna say about the um. What you were talking about about him getting paranoid and 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 thinking about the future and not even overanalyzing but really analyzing what's probably going to happen and the fear of going back to the caves mm-hmm. and there's this whole I'll read this entry here drawing pictures in charcoal this is the moon god this is a tree this is a max semi overwhelming a hunter oh that's cool not even that so much of the world is paved now even the even the playgrounds are paved and for the fields and marshes and deep woods there are tanks half tracks flatbeds equipped with lasers macers heat seeking radar little by little. They can make it into the world they want. I can see great convoys of trucks filling the swamp with sand, the bulldozers ripping through the national parks and woodlands and wildlands, grading the earth flat, stamping it into one great flat plain, and then the hot top trucks arriving. Like, none of this is found in the adaptations. No, we, we, I don't want to yeah. talk about that now, but this is this it, real oh, it's grim it's great. forecast, you know? I think part of what works about it is that it's um, very similar to that science fiction obsessions with AI, mm-hmm. where we create our own destroyers, mm-hmm. where somehow we create a world perfectly suited to the very thing that will end us through our own ambition or ego or lack of care. Um which I think is what works about a story called Trucks. Mm-hmm. And I had this professor in college who used to talk about uh, degree of difficulty, that part of the reason that Beckett is so hard to, Samuel Beckett is so hard to do um, on stage is because the target is so tiny, mm-hmm. whereas Neil Simon is pretty easy to do on stage and the target is huge because yeah. all you have to do is get sort of in the area. And I feel like Stephen King said, I'm going to write a story called Trucks. And so the target is so tiny. So the flaws in the story stand out because to make it work, he had to balance things perfectly. But when it works, my God, it's really great. Yeah, I, I, I wrote that down too, that there's sort of a fear of progress going on here. The idea that we're creating our own destroyers. And not only have we created like, like you were saying, like not only have we created things that can kill us, but they can literally destroy the world, like in the section that you read. And I love what you said, Dan, about the idea of like watching, like people speculating on the coming apocalypse. The mm-hmm. idea that we're watching, we've seen the beginnings of the formation of something that will blossom into something completely yeah. destructive and overwhelming. Another thing that I find interesting in trucks is how he only names a couple of the minor characters snodgrass yeah and um i uh, i can't remember the name of the other guy I, th- like, I think the uh, young the guy the young couple yeah he, the, he name, names like yeah. oh jerry but it's yeah. like but nobody else is named which i think is uh very telling because it sort of already points to the idea that uh you know, there is a loss of identity going on. Yeah, There's a loss of humanity because we don't name cars. Those know? are those. Those Christine. are the, t- the two characters that die too. Yep. Yeah. Like, they, yeah. Which yeah. I didn't which, speaking of which, that the, the way Snodgrass dies Oof, in this yeah. is one of the most haunting parts of the whole uh, damn book. Like, I mean, that whole thing where they wake up in the middle of the night. Oh yeah. It's like you know it, they hear him. Yeah, and they just they hear him uh, crying out there, and and he's just you just imagine him just like the, the trucks already know he's died, so they're just kind of revolving around and like you know they're not going to waste the and, gas and on and him. And the humans don't want to go out there because they, they you know it's just 
the idea that he's just calling out there alone he's gonna die alone like like under the under the moon and and the fact that the you know you think that they would just go out and save him they don't because they, like, they can't like, you know like he holds back and the way he describes that is uh um some it's just some great writing you go for it no i i i love that part too and if you yeah. have something no no, no like, go for it because uh I, that was to me that was the scariest part yeah was just this girl all of a sudden like saying hey I, I can hear him out there we've got to do something and then you know our, our lead character's like no because if we do it could be your boyfriend that goes yeah. out there and is, you put it at risk and they just kind of have to sit there and listen to it and it's really creepy my biggest yeah my biggest uh, problem with the story is how I feel no connection to any of the characters uh, they all yeah. feel kind of like lifeless to me but then you know, the more I talk about it the, and the idea that they don't have names and that there is sort of the sense of a loss of identity happening. And in the end, the trucks view humans the same way we view cars, where these are vessels for us to use for our own means. Like once the trucks become sentient, it's like like they're like, OK, you're going to pump gas for us now. You are not a human. You do not have a name. That's sort of the, the like we are more powerful than you. And that to me is very interesting. And it also point, you know, I think the whole story, too, King's always sort of had an interest in cars. You know, there's from a mm-hmm. gate, there's Christine. And um, I think this might have been the beginning of his, uh, you know, his obsession there. Uh, can I ask a question of the panel? Sure. Mm-hmm. Of all of the inanimate uh, sentient objects and or machines. We'll say objects because then we can include the soldiers. Which one is actually the scariest? Because I think mm. it's the trucks and that's why this one is the highest for me. But although the lawnmower man is really creepy. Oh, you're talking out of all the machines. Yeah. Because here. it's not a, a particularly short list. No, it's, yeah. There are well, what, five stories in a collection of 20. It's interesting because the, most of them. Dino <laughs> De Laurentiis for a while was trying to, he had acquired the rights to all these Stephen King stories in the 80s. He was going to do an anthology movie, uh, an anthology series called The Machines that was going to be like Trucks, Lawnmower Man, uh, The Mangler, all that, which, you know, I think of all the, oh, man, I think of this. Yeah, it probably would be trucks. I mean, the lawnmower man, that's not the lawnmower. It's, it's yeah, trucks. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely trucks. trucks. Yeah. There is one truck he describes. It's a smaller one. It's not the main, like, tanker or whatever. And he, he describes it as being like a like a guard dog almost to yeah. it. Oh, like, yeah. That really, like, he yeah. gives the, the machine's personality, yeah, which is interesting. More, more open than the character. Yeah. I just want to say, in terms of the story delivery, this is a perfect example of a story that would never work, in my opinion, as, like, a full-length novel no. or yeah. even novella. Yeah. And that's a problem that I feel he ran into with something like Cell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The beginning yeah. is so good, and then you get to the point where now they have to really explain yeah. the whole message of Cell, and, 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 and it falls apart. And it, there's no time to fall apart with this, in my opinion. I, I, I think it would work if you have some sort of compelling narrative, though. You know, like, I mean, because it's an interesting world that we have If here, they can and, actually escape and, and have to be on the run or something. And, that, and, that, and the, the problem is, is that I don't think... You know, it's a very. It reminds me of like a John Carpenter um, sort of uh, convention because they're all localized at one mm-hmm. sort of location, and they have to kind of you know use their means to get out of there. Um, and that's an interesting story. Um, the problem is, is that you know you'd have to really build up some great characters, and there are none in this. Like what, what, had, what Randall had pointed out. Um, and that's fine when it's short, but, but yeah, yeah. I, but I do think that this is an interesting world because. Like, like you would point out, Dan, like, I mean, we are, or even what you had said, Randall, is that it's like the beginning of the apocalypse. So we don't really see where this is going to go. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of like, to your point, like, I do like the, the like the imagination that allows that to go, um, you know. I just, just I just think out. it's a case where simple is better here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's just like these little things that happen uh, where the trucks start killing people. Uh, there's a description that King had where he says, uh, the steel treads were streaked and dotted with gore, and where the kid had been being something that looked like a crumpled towel. And mm. that stuck with me. I mean, just the, just seeing this thing on the road that, that maybe somehow kind of resembled a kid uh, was just horrifying so yes the trucks are absolutely the most scary <laughs> and that absolutely an object and right? that points to the idea the way he describes a human body as a towel it's like humans becoming objects yeah, you know yeah. yeah um yeah when i just did since we're on characters i did just want to touch real quick on uh what are your guys opinion on on the cook it's a little bit i uh, think that's the hardest yeah. thing to revisit when you're doing this is um there's only you know the cook is is a black character and king writes him in sort of um vernacular I guess. a vernacular that nobody else even even exhibits any of mm-hmm. and he describes him in ways that are kind of grossly exploitive yeah mm-hmm. um he uses words like obsidian and he yeah. talks about <laughs> okay. his lips and things and it's it's in his eyes is like what was the phrase he used yeah. like um his eyes like hoods you know yeah. it's like well and once again and you know and, and I, I do you know i do want to reiterate like we know that it obviously didn't come from any kind of right like, um cruel place or malicious place i mean Kink does have a good track record as far as his views on race, but yeah, it just doesn't it, age well. You no, know, it does not. At yeah. All, yeah, so I just wanted to yeah touch on that. But what other thoughts do we have on trucks? Solid story. Keep on trucking along, uh, and that's at number sixteen. Love that last. Love the ending. Yeah, yeah. the ending's really great. great. The yeah. image of like the long trucks just going off into the horizon is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, because it's back to like he can't even see the yeah. road anymore. You just yeah. hear like the ACDC in the background. Yeah. <laughs> who made who? <laughs> yeah. The next story is one that used to confuse me because it has shift in the title and the book <laughs> is called Shift. Yet the story's not called Night Shift. It's called Graveyard Shift. And um. Uh, Dan, tell us about this story. Sure. It's funny you say that because I had the same thing and then there's Night Surf and I was yeah. like, oh, I don't think just combine the two. Um, so, I love your voice for you when you yeah, were a kid. Why, why, Dad? Why don't they do it this way? Um, why aren't we talking about it? <laughs> yeah, it's from the Dark Knight. Uh, oh, boy. The fairy scene. Um, so, yeah, Graveyard Shift is... Um, there's always that joke, uh, I don't love the show necessarily, but there's that Stephen King joke in The Family Guy where mm-hmm. he always just says, like, oh, I'll make, uh, it's a lamp that's haunted, it's this that's haunted, it's this that's haunted, it's this that's scary. And this is in the vein of the mangler kind of like that. It's like, okay, what if you had to deal with, with rats? That's that's sort of the hook in this story. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's at this textile mill. It's during the middle of summer, the, was it 4th of July week? or mm-hmm. um, And this uh, slob of a boss, uh, Warwick, is paying some of his, of his uh, employees to clean out the rats um, from the basement. And, of course, they go down there and they discover the the rats are not just rats. They have been living down there for a long time and have uh, been mutated. Uh, you know, I've, I've always liked the nastiness of this story. It's really disgusting. Yeah. There's there's a lot left to be desired for the characters. Like, I, I mean, literally, the main guy is just is characterized that he used to be in college and he's rats like that's it you know <laughs> yeah. and the, and the and this like pig of a boss who I pictured as Troy Evans when I was reading it from uh the stand and uh Cheese Charlie in Halloween 5 you know oh, talking yeah. about yeah I pictured him yeah. in, the stand? in the stand he's the sheriff that takes in Rob Lowe when oh. he ends up dying He's also an Ace Ventura pet detective. He is, yeah. yeah. Ah. And Roger Predactor. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's always a good guy. But I so I pictured him as the boss. And like they had this rivalry that's really not developed very yeah. well or anything. But whatever, you know, it, it doesn't really matter for me. When they get in the basement, the sort of snowball effect of these increasingly disgusting species of rats um, is really horrifying uh, to me. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, this basically is just uh, the bad jobs or the you know what, what's that? Ch- oh, dirty jobs. dirty jobs, yeah. or whatever. It, I mean, it kind of is. That's that's the whole conceit. It's it like, is. This is the this is stuff that goes down. You know, in, in, in other parts of America, blah blah blah. How disgusting um, can we make I, it? I, to, to your point about how disgusting this this thing, like <laughs> King goes just the <laughs> extra mile so far. to make it disgusting. Like here's one section that just. That, that, that has nothing even to do with the, the you know the terror that's yeah. out there. It just lays the scene straight where me, who's OCD and a hypochondriac, um, <laughs> was having a you know a fucking seizure. Um, <laughs> so four a.m. Tuesday lunchtime, Holland Wisconski, which Wisconski, great name, yeah. <laughs> sat with three or four other men eating their sandwiches with black hands that not even the industrial detergent could clean. Paul <laughs> ate looking into the foreman's little glass office. Warwick was drinking coffee and eating cold hamburgers with great relish. Like, Ugh, you know, it's like nasty. And, and, and don't worry, it wasn't relishes in the pickles. Which oh, I know you're terrified. Right. That's worse than relish. Relish isn't just like he's enjoying this. It's but really great this relish. Is just, like, you just, shut your filthy you know, mouth. And, and this is all like, the pickle after, podcast too. I think. This is after all they've you know set up the fact that it's boiling down there and it's like it's miserable. Burning. It's just like late at night and it's just like. These are, this is an area. This is just something that like a nightmare. Yeah, that you don't want to be that. that you know, that he set up as like a realistic thing. Um, and, and so already like, you know, yeah, the rats are like a threat of this, but I just thought like the job itself was oh, it's just disgusting. So I was just like, I'd kill myself. If I was, I didn't <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ultimately it's not too tough to make a horrifying story about rats mm-hmm. in general. They're disgusting. I feel like we've come further along enough with technology where we can actually eliminate rats. Um, okay. <laughs> and we'll fun, be fine. Fun fact about that. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to go off too much on a tangent on this, but, uh, while I was reading this, um, both, uh, you know, at, at our office at the Consequence of Sound uh, office, no. um, which is a nice little residential type yeah, a nice office. little storefront? Yeah, you'd think. Um, <laughs> we, we, we'd been noticing that there are a lot of food items that we've been knocked off the shelves here and there. Um, and, and we, we thought it was a little mouse that was kind of cute. Cause at one point we, we bring back our, our uh, grocery shopping bags and their paper bags. And one day we saw that there was like a little hole that was like carved out, you know, it's like ratatouille or something. And, um, and as we were cleaning out the closet, um, uh, in the back, the back area, um, me and Sammy Jerush, we, we noticed that it smelled really bad. And, 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 and again, remember, I'm reading, rereading this book at the time of this. So I, I, I was like, oh, God, I wonder if, like, the mouse died back here. So as I'm pulling back a box, it jumped out of this uh. thing and, like, went around the corner. And at this point, we don't know where it is. And it could have ran into the other offices or whatever. So Sammy and I, we're just, like, hyper alert. We're looking for this thing. And we managed to find the rat that was behind the, the, the fridge and here's to your point, Justin. It is not easy to catch the rats. No, like, it really mm-hmm. isn't. So we 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 got a guy because it was like this huge rat that we noticed behind the Ugh, fridge because we had looked everywhere else and I was like, we haven't checked behind. Wait, the so fridge. did it go back? Did it go back there and die? Was it in the process? Of no, no, it was, oh. it was it was it was just eating stuff around, yeah. and we had yeah. put everything in the fridge, so it couldn't find anything. So this was like it had not eaten for a while. So oh, it, when we pulled yeah. back, when we pulled back the fridge to see where because this is the last place we could look, it was you know it was sitting there like staring at the corner like it was in like the Blair Witch Project or something. <laughs> and and this fat huge rat and like and I was like oh Christ and like the landlord was like oh we'll just set some traps and and and, and I was like well I I gotta call an exterminator so because they can catch it because it's all in the corner and so they brought it there and um you know they, they came they couldn't catch it it got it actually managed to go past all the um oh, the elephant glue sort of um traps and everything else and managed to go into a hole. And so this lasted for like a few days until finally like they managed to catch it outside with another trap or whatever. But 
it is not it is really not easy so like reading this and like they're like stomping and like hitting it, when, and I, was imagine, like, Man, I, sh- like, I wish I had these guys consequence like, of sound like, imagine it's like a clean office above ground with one rat and then run, imagine yeah. this is like the with like millions of them. So like yeah it, it, it was interesting reading this at the same time as that and I realized like how hard it is to actually catch rats. Yeah. And, you know. I thought you were going to say you push Sammy on top of the rat. Oh, I, well, that, <laughs> like, <laughs> like Hall does with Warwick. Uh, that's that. I will say, though, that Graveyard Shift isn't my favorite story, yeah. but I appreciate how nasty it it's is. It's so gross. Well, it's just mean. Like, Hall's like a piece of shit. Oh, like, he kills I mean, Warwick. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just like he doesn't like the guy, so he, he like. He, well, they. I, I, it's always been scary to me that they find this giant mother rat that's, that's blind, no legs, no legs, it's the size of a cow, and Ugh. it's just giant. And like that to me is such a that was that's a terrifying image that's lasted with me since childhood. And um, and just the idea that you know he brings this guy down there just to like push him on there for just because the guy was a dick, and then the fact that he di- he gets eaten to death by the rats as he walks back to the ladder, like that to me is like nasty. You know, these are nasty does, people. I love, I love it does. too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I did feel that that this is one of those stories that uh, jumps too quickly. Yeah. Sure, like, like you know, w- yeah. w- with him just all of a sudden just like kind of being this like terrible guy, he just wants to kill him, and yeah. you know, it, it kind of just advances all of a sudden the last like you know, I guess five percent of it, it just goes crazy. But it is really gross and really disgusting, and and kind of hits everything that it sets out to do. I also wanted to say, uh, are we on the uh, path or beam of the rat? Yeah. Oh, oh, Dark Tower reference. Know. Maybe we are. Oh, that's a that's a bad beam to be on. I don't want to be yeah, on another no rat beam. Uh, once again, Mac and I are united on, in our ambivalence about a story in which creepy small things become, uh, you know, threat. Yeah. Um, Doesn't do it for you. Uh, the best way for me to sum up my complete lack of interest in this story <laughs> is... Um, that uh, Mike's story about a rat in the COS offices made me way more creeped out than anything <laughs> that happens. And that it just, it's too much. It's like, it just, there's no restraint at all. Oh, I, I love agree. it. No, and for me, I think part of what makes the best King stories, and honestly the best frightening stories of any kind, mm-hmm. scary is when there's some restraint. Like there's yeah. nothing that slithers in the night. They're all just there fat and ugly and ready to eat you and it does nothing for you. Um, going back real quick to what you guys said about the feud between Hall and Warwick, it is interesting because in the beginning, they almost have this like friendly rivalry, like, oh yeah, see if you can get that can, haha, and it, it, he does get kind of just murderous for no reason, yeah. and, he, just yeah, get, and no. he gets like so, he almost gets wild about it, like, oh yeah, come on, Warwick, got something to show you, and it's, um, and, and uh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> uh, I, it, that, that transition is, it was so jarring that I reread sections beforehand yeah. to see if there is any sort of like whispers of this and there because isn't it's a college and, boy that's like the exactly. worst the, the like, worst thing he does like i don't really boy. get yeah like if it had been somebody like you know not to stereotype or anything but if it was like somebody like they hinted at some sort of like dangerous past like mm-hmm. like this guy's like oh this guy could be trouble or whatever but yeah. you know he's you know this is just the job that he's doing between things or whatever Maybe King but goes like, out of his way. Jump. King goes out of his way to make him nondescript. Yeah. He's kind of like, yeah, he was in college and he's had some jobs, but that's well, about just, it. Like yeah. to Allison's point, and I, and I absolutely agree. It just goes off the rails. Like it, yeah. it, it becomes. It, it's at like he's like, well, we're gonna have him kill this person. You know, at that we're just no, no. It's like they show the big ass rat. And they're like, well, it's, I guess it's okay if we just make this character a total murderous person, also. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, it, it's just, it's, it's too batshit crazy for yeah, me. Yeah, I don't think I'm underselling or overselling it by just saying it's a, it's a short, dumb horror story yeah. about rats. I love it. I love it. I <laughs> love that, it. That would have been enough. Like to your point, though, yeah. with trucks, 
had he just kept it that, whereas the rats, instead of having this murderous impulse, had it been like maybe the guy fell off the ladder and then the rats got him and he just didn't want to help him. He didn't go back I would have bought that. Yeah. Like, but but Trucks goes to kind of like the poetic route, too. And yeah. I, and I'm not saying that all horror stories have to go the poetic route. I don't know how much poetic you get about rats. Yeah, well. But, you know. One thing I do want to praise really quick, it's such a minor detail, but, um, and, and this goes back to what you guys are saying about King just nailing these working class environments. I mean, he comes yeah. from that world. Like, the, yeah. I mean, even things like the Excedrin and the Shining and um, just the the cold hamburgers, all this stuff. Like, yeah. he really gets at these details that lower middle to middle America knows. He mentions the orange crush thermometer on yeah. the wall, and I think that comes up. Is it gray matter? He mentions it later. There's another story where he talks he has about the wind. Uh, y- thing yeah, on the ledge. and I think that's I don't know. I think that's really neat. Like even in this gross, disgusting, you know, kind of trashy little story, he has these uh, these cool details. Well, it gives agency to the thing because it it, it it honestly yeah. like it paints it as like this is there's like some sort of authority of when you actually have like the specifics mm-hmm. of like the area. So, um, any other thoughts on graveyard shift? Um, well, I think Dan and I love this story more than some of you, but not as much as the man who loved flowers, <laughs> which is our next story. All right. So, yeah, the man who loved flowers, um, you know, we, we all came together and we have our, you know, collected top ten. And nine of my top ten entries actually made the final cut for the top ten. This is the one that didn't. And I really, really love this story, actually. This yeah. is... Um, I, I love... Well, let me give you the little plot synopsis, even though we all read it. Uh, it's it's the early 60s, normal, beautiful evening. This jolly fella is on his way to meet his gal. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right? That's, that's basically the breakdown, yeah, that, right? Yeah, that's the breakdown. Okay. Um, things go wrong. Um, I just love the dreamlike setting that is happening throughout the whole thing. Everybody is just at the top of their... Uh, on top of the world. Everything's lovely. Uh, they, there's there's lines like the air was soft and sweet spring trembled on the edge of summer and in the city summer is a season of dreams love spring youth all these images <laughs> pop up throughout the entire thing you're reassured the whole book is basically just comforting you know you're reassured everything's fine where's the story going and then we know where it's going our jolly fellow is actually insane and he I guess ten year a few years earlier lost. His Somebody. Wife, his, yeah. I don't know if he lost her or he actually also killed her. Who knows? Lost his mind. But yeah. he, he definitely <laughs> lost his mind. And it's maybe 10 pages long. And I, I love the twist that happened near the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm 100% on board with this story. I love it. I still love it. Something I really love about this story, when it's another one when I was younger, I think the more realistic stories I didn't appreciate yeah. as much. Um, and I didn't notice how wonderful the tone was when I was li- little. Like Justin said, he does such a good job of we all in Chicago. We've all had those nights in the summer, or spring, where you're you are out and everyone's just kind of talking. Not people you know. You there just seems to be something in the air. And, and King really does capture that without it being too cheesy. He even mentions like the beginnings or the or the Vietnam War at some point, but it it's like far away. You know, I think he and I think there's a reason it's set in the '60s. I think he's purposely separating it from all this uh, turmoil that happened with Kennedy getting assassinate, assassinated and. Um, uh, Altamont murders and all that stuff. However, I, I think it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I do wonder if it ties specifically to the unrest that was going to come in the '70s. You know, the whole thing is that everyone—it's idyllic on the surface, all that stuff—and then what happens is, oh, it's actually super ugly and even worse. No one else notices the ugliness yeah, at the end. Absolutely. When he strolls away, they think, "Wow, that's a fella in love." When you're like, "No, he's actually a, a 
fucking maniac. Yeah, it's the undercurrent, the underbelly. But, yeah. I mean, because there's even the whole radio broadcast where they, they casually slip in that there's a hammer murder yeah. on the loose yeah. with all the stuff about drugs mm-hmm. and Vietnam. Exactly. That's just, that's just on the brink of happening. They mm. specifically mention that in it. Yeah, Yeah, I very I, those are great points that I guess I hadn't really considered. Like, And I, it's interesting to me that this is a rarity for King, but this is a story that seems to really thrive on atmosphere and um, tone and sort of like the general milieu of things then then I overuse it um, uh, but I think sort of for me like it doesn't have that strong narrative uh, propulsion that a lot of King stuff does this one really luxuriates in the world and the tone which I find you know it's a unique thing for King and I think it's one of the things that makes Night Shift such a strong short story collection is because he really isn't exploring like his style through a lot of these, and I find that really interesting. Yeah, it it, it felt like a knock knock joke to me, um, <laughs> like, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I I because I, I, I like this story a lot. Um, it, it it's weird because it maybe it's just because I saw La La Land recently. It just reminds me of like a Damien Chazelle production or something like that, where it's, everything's just so like so big. And there's like and it leads to like a you know an emotional core or something at the end. Um, your, I think your thoughts on, on, on the story, Dan, is dead on. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody else needs to say anything else. But um, no, <laughs> I, no, but no, but I, I think that is um, the the whole commentary on just like the '60s in general. I feel like this is a microcosm of that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like the fact that it has like the four seasons, like begin singing Sherry, Sherry Baby. Like, yeah. I noted on here, I was like, oh, that sounds like a little cliche because it reminds me of like how we always. Uh, do that. I know who you want. Whenever it's like and it was back in the sixties, you know, like blah blah blah. Like, and it, like when I read that, I was like, ah, that kind of that seems a little on the nose. But I think that's the whole point because it's a it's a show that you know, it's like oh, America was in love and everyone was having this you know this this great time and and it isn't like you know one like once sixty eight happened like obviously like that entire nightmare yeah. of everything was just right on the the you know on the forefront. Um, but going back to the the knock knock point, there is a rhythm to this story. Yes, like in it, yes, mm-hmm. it, it, there, there is. It, I like how it like you know luxuriates with a lot of the details, but it is just one long wave mm-hmm. that just keeps going. And you think that maybe something will happen to him, maybe something not. I mean, there's so many different emotions in the story. By then, by the t- I mean, because look, this is the end of the. It's it's pretty much almost the, towards the end of the. Uh, of Night Shift. And by then, you've seen, like, a lot of stories that don't have to be scary. You've seen a lot of ones that could just be kind of, like, you know, um, a separate, you know, genre exist. experiment. Yeah. So, by, by all means, it could just be that this guy's just going to go meet his, you know, his loved one, and mm-hmm. it, maybe he's doing his, his, you know, it's just like an actual drama or a love story. But the fact that it hits you with the hammer, that's where I feel like it's like a knock It's like, oh, I didn't, you know. Who's there? Exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a couple of things that, that rang, like, strange to me was the fact that if there is this hammer serial killer out there, why is everyone so just, like, happy and, like, mm. like joyfully looking at this guy and all this stuff? Like, I, I don't know. That, that seemed weird to me. Um, but I liked how, yes, there is a rhythm. And then when it gets to you know towards the end uh things start to kind of fall apart and i and i found that with the the cats the screaming cats oh that's right and how they, at, at one point like they say that the people can't hear the woman over the yowling cats uh which always reminds me of this uh scenario where i, I was at the, my old apartment and i heard this just like yowling outside i thought it was someone dying or something dying <laughs> yeah and i went out there and it was actually a couple of cats getting it on doesn't do, <laughs> and, doesn't he specifically say the cat's making alien love or something yes. it's oh, like yeah. really ooh, alien yeah, love. Like a, um, but, but what year was summer sam who 69 no was it not 70s it was the 70s i think, I think yeah so it was, well it's it's funny you say that when when you're asking oh well, why isn't anyone alarmed about 
about this hammer murderer. And I think that's part of, of what we're saying about the 60s because I feel like we always think every decade before was better. You know, people in yeah. the 60s thought the 50s were great. People in the 70s thought the 60s are great. But for, I mean, even us, like right now, politically, obviously things feel, as we've all expressed on this podcast, very awful to us. And I look back in the Obama years with, with you know, much love, of course. And, and yes, they were better politically. But the truth is bad, horrible things happen all the time, you know? And I think I think we cover them up a lot or we right now in we, the city. seriously yeah we romanticize things and we and we kind of forget about it so so if the people not worrying about the hammer murder wasn't as much of an issue to me although i do get you're saying like if that was happening in new york like people would probably be really friends uh, but i don't about. know though i, I really yeah. don't because uh, and i'm not uh, i i think because you know it, it goes back to the whole thing it's like you're in a comfort bubble like you're in a yeah. bubble i mean look, look what's happening here i mean like i just mentioned like chicago like like we're sitting here literally talking on a podcast and there's shit that goes down everywhere yeah but like because you're in your bubble Mm -hmm. yeah it's hard for me to talk about this story without talking about the two other stories in this collection that have to do with male entitlement um when it comes to the bodies and affections of women um and i think of those three this is the most interesting and the least effective yeah. Um, it's re- it's beautifully written. Mm. It's got that twist at the end that's genuinely surprising. You the more beautiful it gets, the more dread you start to feel, which is mm. really yeah. interesting. But it feels like King is making this statement about this man driven to presumably insanity by a lost love and it's rendered every woman the same in his eyes and when he discovers that they're not that's when this horror happens and it just if it was the only story of its kind in the collection I might feel differently but mm-hmm. the because the female characters are described um, as individual people in the other stories because it's it looks at the same issue through a more complex and thoughtful lens um, it's it's just a little harder for me to get on board with, but it's also just beautiful and creepy. Well, I guess that my question for for you then, because um, I, I totally think that that's like a valid point um, with how he portrayed. I mean, it's essentially a faceless woman. I mean, like right. you said, it's a woman created in this image that he's had of either his romantic partner who he killed, or maybe someone who wasn't actually a romantic yeah. partner at all. So, I guess, like, do you think at all? I guess, what what's your take on the way Stephen King? like sees this guy or or sees the idea of unrequited love or whatever else or do, or do you think it's just kind of like meant to be shocking or, or something? I don't like think that it's, I, guess, I yeah. don't think that it's meant to be shocking I mm-hmm. think what he's saying is that there is this potential in people of any gender mm-hmm. when they suffer a loss they feel is unjustified or unfair to somehow inflict damage on others as a result of that trauma mm-hmm. um and in some cases, it can result in violence, and that's a very real threat that, again, people of all genders, but particularly women alone in urban areas, have to contend with all the time. Um, and I think that this story does that well, but mm. the two that we're about to talk about, because somehow they ended up back-to-back, spoiler! <laughs> yeah, no, 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 do is, that it is weird. particular yeah. thing mm-hmm. better. I think this is the best written story of the three. Stylistically. But yeah. it just isn't quite as smart as the others that we're about to discuss. Yeah, and, and are we sure that she died 
or disappeared. Did they ever say that or that he killed her? No, there's blood. Isn't there blood? Yeah. Are you, wait, no, are no, you, no, I'm talking no, about the, the original Norm, love that died ten years prior. Norma. It's vague because I don't know if they're meant to say that he also <coughs> killed his was Norma, the real Norma, with a hammer or not. So that that would make a yeah, like, difference. Yeah. yeah, it's vague. I'll say the where I struggled with this story. I think it's I think it is beautiful, but like you know. The twist for me wasn't that shocking only because the moment that I saw there is a hammer serial killer, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, this guy is the killer. Even like that was, you uh, see, I didn't get that yeah. at all. The first, and I, until, until the moment actually happens pages later, I never, I did not, I, that was not where my head was. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know because the thing is I am horrible at seeing twists coming. Mm. Like I fall for everything. Mm. I'll never forget when I I was so excited to show my ex the usual suspects because I was like <laughs> this is going to blow your mind and Get then ready, and then it. and this was years ago and she had never seen it and then like literally 5 minutes into the movie she looks at Kevin Spacey and she goes He's not a cripple. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, damn it. What, what, if, what if when the end happened in, in Usual Suspects, did, did you look at her like, huh? Huh? She had predicted it. Anyways, um, this was one where I think I liked the world of it. Um, I, I, I found myself just, maybe it was just because it was written in that romantic style, which just doesn't appeal to me personally. Um, I think that... I kind of didn't really think about some of the the grander overtones that you guys really pulled from it, which I think are super apt and totally smart. It's like, I think I saw this as just like, oh, this super nice, like, happy good time like he's gonna just start <laughs> smashing somebody with a hammer in the head in a few in a few pages and um and so yeah i think that i almost breathe and i i, I want to actually revisit it um thinking about what you guys were saying because i feel like i didn't really give this story um you know the time i should have because i was literally just like okay so when's this guy gonna beat somebody with a hammer the moment i read <laughs> yeah, that yeah, so I, I think this is a good Time to go into the luckiest number 13. Yes. Uh, so I guess you could say, um, it sounds like you guys love this story as much as the man love flowers, but uh, <laughs> but did we also love our number 13 entry, the aromatic Strawberry Spring? Strawberry Swing. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> so Strawberry Spring, uh, once again, is a part of the Stephen King writes about women being preyed upon variety hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this is another story where we hear uh, this time not sort of hinted at, but very directly that there's a serial killer on the loose on this sort of idyllic small college campus um, during an early thaw, which we all just went through. One, I was. Yeah. Were you guys rereading this when we were having seventy degree days in yes. February? Yes, I was. Yeah. Um, and our narrator um, is on campus when it's happening, and like everyone around him, he's equal parts titillated and frightened and confused and sometimes disappointed when things t- seem too simple about the events rather than coming from a place of human empathy. It's more like watching a car crash as opposed to actually living. But gradually, as more and more people die, he seems to be more and more affected. And then the snow comes, and it goes away. But now we're in a new strawberry spring, and someone, years and years later, post-wife, post-kids, post-job, and someone else has died. Um, and it was Kaiser Soze. <laughs> Your girlfriend was a genius. Yeah. So I... Um, I think that Strawberry Spring and The Man Who Loved Flowers operate in kind of a similar way. Yeah, in absolutely. that there's this, yes. it comes from this place of romance, 
But one of the things that I appreciate more about Strawberry Spring is that King does this really interesting thing where all of the women who are killed are described in detail. And in the first case, this woman is described as being like seven different people. She's a lesbian who was murdered by an ex. And she was homely. And no, she was beautiful. And she was easy. No, she was actually a prude. And by creating this fervor around the deaths of these women, he's also able to look at the ways in which we treat... um, Homicide, particularly gruesome homicides, particularly when they seem to have sexual undertones, as a subject of sort of delighted fascination as opposed to what they actually are, Mm -hmm. which I just found really smart. I'm glad you brought that up because know what those passages reminded me of um, was the virgin suicides. Like Mm. they say, because if you've read that book or even seen the movie, um, when they die, they do that exact same thing. Like everyone knew them, and that always happens when someone, an acquaintance dies. Everyone knew them, they were this, they were that, blah, blah, blah. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think that what the story nails is like the kind of sick fascination we have when, especially when not just someone dies, but a woman dies um, in this kind of scenario. Um, and it, I, I always, uh, our marketing director, Dan Flieger for Consequence of Sound, we always joke growing up like, oh man, it'd be really cool to live in a college town like during a serial killer uh, rampage, like in Scream or something. You know? he, went to, he went to UF, which yeah. is where Danny the, Rollins, the, the yeah. Gainesville Ripper was, who also killed at Florida State too, I think. Yeah. But anyway, or was that Ted Bundy? That no, it was matter. Ted Bundy, but yeah. Yeah. So, but it's this thing of like, you know, when, when we thought of that, our first thought is like the Scream movie. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, it's cool. It's this thing that everyone in town unites around and they wonder about. And then at the end of the day, you're like, wait, no, someone's getting butchered. Like, it's awful. It's, it's this terrible thing. But we're humans, right? And I think that's, like, that's what the story nails. It's just, like, the the kind of rabid fascination around it um, with maybe not enough empathy. And, I, and, I, and aside from the twist that the main dude ends up being the killer, probably whatever else, I really like that about it. And also, like you said, it's very similar to The Mandela Flowers just in terms of how the environment is depicted. It's very romantic sounding. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, Norm MacDonald's uh, skit that he has on like his last comedy album where he has this <laughs> long, it's like the longest skit that he has. It's all about this. He goes into the, the psychology, basically, um, of why we get fascinated with these deaths. And he talks about how like the media paints... Uh, you know, he, he uses this uh, unnamed woman. Um, he just gives her a name, Janice. Yeah. And talks about how he becomes so obsessed with just finding out about Janice. He's yeah. just like, he didn't even know about this person. He doesn't know who he was. And, you know, he starts, you know, offering commentary on how dumb the killer was. And he just, you know, goes into like the whole idea of shallow graves. And he's like, why is there a shallow grave? You're going to try to give someone away. You want to have a deeper grave or something. But it, it's really genius. <laughs> but yeah. he keeps talking the way he, rep- the way he does the repetition of Janice. He's just like, he's like, ah, oh, man, it's like, I, I, I just, I, I can't, Stop thinking about Janice, like, and, and you know, like, it, like, but it's it, it, that that whole like thing of uh, that that obsession with something that doesn't involve you. He only knows about only, it like, because she's killed. Exactly, like, it's, it's and like thing, so, yeah. you wouldn't even care about this person ahead of time. But the fact that they died was um, it, 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 you become glued to it. Yeah, it's weird. It's interesting, and I, I and, that, and that's one thing I do like about in this in this takeaway of the story, but. Outside of that, I agree with you. I, I don't think... I really actually kind of groaned. Because like, I had read it 10 years ago, and I actually really liked it because it reminded me of the campus of DePaul University, which was where I was going at the yeah. time. And there was a lot of fog and everything. So at the time, it was really good. I got captured into it. But I got captured into it because I think the atmosphere and the aesthetic of this story is superb. Um, I don't like... I just Again, it's just like... It didn't need to be a twist. A I twist, think, yeah. I, I think you already had the idea of being obsessed with killing... You know, the, the being obsessed with the murders 
was enough. Like, you didn't need the twist. Like, even if you just had it where you never even solved the person, I think that would have been a, a stronger ending. But the fact that, like, and I agree, it has a great kicker. I mean, like, the whole, like, the last line is phenomenal. But I just don't think it's earned. Like, it just seems so, like, uh, pedantic at, at that point. Especially in this story where every where the, the, the twist becomes the expecting thing. I think that's why, personally, I like the Man Who Loved Flowers more. Because exactly. while you guys are saying the, the, character, the characters... Um, or more thought out here, more developed here. Obviously, yeah. it's a longer story as well. But they have that st- that that twist is the same twist. It is, mm-hmm. and I feel like the man who loved flowers gets there quicker. Yeah, and in a way sharper than this I does. Agree. I don't think, and it's kind of with you, Randall. I feel like I guessed the twist in this sure. really early on. <laughs> yeah. Whereas man who loved flowers didn't necessarily. Get, I didn't go there right away. Yeah. so that's my issue with it. I think that we're meant to. Yeah. Guess the twist. And that, for me, is one of the for differences. Spring. Yes. Because there's that, relatively early on, it's after maybe the third killing, there's that really brief scene with his roommate. And it's the it, the way it's written, it's so weird, but it just really works, where he says, um, the roommate, he smiled benevolently and stole one of my cigarettes from the open pack on the window ledge. I suspect everyone but me and thee, he said, and then the smile faded a little. And I sometimes wonder about thee. Want to go over to the union and shoot some eight ball? I'll spot you ten. So literally, he straight yeah. up says, oh, well, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe it could be you. Do you want to go play pool? Um, and that's that apathy. And that that's it. And it, and it never returns until the end. But I, I think that is intended to make us realize that this man who's fascinated, um, grotesquely fascinated with these murders is the one committing them. Yeah, and I, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe we've all read too many horror stories, so it's easier <laughs> for us to kind of key into these things, yeah. because Honestly, probably I absolutely felt that, that you were supposed to know it was him. I mean, just, he's obsessed with the danger, the fog, the allure of it. You know, he's like excited that it's happening. He's disappointed and, when somebody gets caught. Yeah, I mean, and I think he's, I think they, they dub him the haha killer, because of the the fog, you know, he writes Oh, he writes haha, yeah. But, um, yeah, I guessed it pretty far in that it was going to be him, but it didn't matter to me because I still thought it was. It's still really effective. I felt like when, especially at the end, when he just writes, uh, "She thinks I was with another woman last night," and oh dear God, I think so too. And it, it, mm-hmm. I, I do like the. the it's, great, it's, it's a great. It's interesting that yeah. like he almost you know has realizes that he has been doing this this whole time. Um, I, I don't know what he's trying to say with that, but I, I, I thought it was effective, yeah. Do you think if they did a modern update of this, it would be the LOL killer? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Uh, um, God, just my last point about it. Because um, I, when I mean, and it's tough because I read this one as little, so it's hard to remember, like, my first reaction. But I, I don't think I did see the twist coming. Part of what I wonder, though, um, you know, as Mac, you know, you reading it as an adult for the first time and, and seeing it happen and that not being an issue... I almost wonder how the story would read if, like, we didn't get that confirmation at the end. If it's more just implied, like he's yeah. he's older now. The um, he's in a different town. The Strawberry Spring comes, a murder happens again. Maybe that's enough. Like we can, like you know what I mean. Like instead of instead of driving home, but I don't know. Like, I do love the whole. This is the, this is definitely the. Sorry, I'm, I'm babbling here now. But the the trunk, like him looking at the trunk and not knowing. What's in the trunk? When I like, like he never I, opens it. Yeah, I it's like not, that yeah, much. Yeah. Is he, that works too. So I don't know. I kind of like that part of yeah. it. It's just for me, you just get to the story in a more roundabout way, and I feel like they do a better job. I guess I'm the man who loves flowers, not the man who loves strawberries. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, if you, I'm the man who loves you. if you're the man who didn't love Strawberry Spring, oh, no. I think I know what you need. <laughs> and it is our number twelve entry. I know what you need. Hey guys, it's me again. I'm the one wearing a bra, so I'm talking about the ladies getting killed story. Um, and wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to. Um, so I know what you need um, has. Maybe the creepiest title in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary um, before you even started. It's another story where uh, maybe King leans on um, supernatural evil magic shit when mm. he doesn't need to. Yeah. Um, although it is really creepy, I think it's more effective in this story than in some of the others. Mm. Uh, but the basic idea here is that a young woman um, essentially gets stalked but her stalker does and says all the right things, and so she begins to fall in love with him. Then her almost fiancé mysteriously dies, and her very smart roommate, who also may or may not be in love with her, it begins to ask questions mm-hmm. about this new boyfriend. Um, and, of course, the guy is creepy. It's never hidden. We know from the very beginning of the story that this mm-hmm. dude is bad news. Like, immediately. And it's not because he has mismatched socks. <laughs> I want to go on record saying my boyfriend routinely wears mismatched socks, and I have no problem with Mine that. Mine match today, but I often have mismatched um, socks, yeah. Because he shows up and says, I know what you need, which is an incredible title and a very powerful line because it really neatly sums up a huge... God, this is going to be so feminist killjoy. Guys, just wait. No. Um, it sums up uh, rape culture and what it is that... Um, White knights. Our patriarchal society has told men for generations they're entitled to. Um, it captures the nice guy who always finishes last, mm-hmm. believes he deserves more. Mm-hmm. Um, and Malay. these stories uh, weren't <laughs> actually told all that frequently mm-hmm. until recently, so the fact that King wrote this when he did is a, a pretty big mark in his favor. I mean, the, the big note I had here was, this is rape of the mind. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's never Absolutely. a physical thing, but it's, it's, it's just, I mean, it's invasive as hell. And now um, I just lost my train, sorry guys. Uh, I had some other notes here about that. But this is the precursor to what is now known as the neckbeard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see, Randall, you touched upon by saying milady. Milady. This is the person <laughs> White who, too. I think, uh, different like you said, Allison, who believes, he, who believes <laughs> he's the right person, he's so wonderful, why doesn't she like me? Yeah. She should like me. I deserve and that's love. Upon yeah. I'm, a nice guy. I'm a good guy and they're all bad guys. Yes. Oh, and because you're pretty, you get everything you want. Yeah. Why don't I get everything it's I want? It's the why not me. Yes. Yeah, and which is why I feel like it it does a disservice to the story when it when it when looking through that lens, I'm like, yeah, it absolutely is. But the use of black magic. Yep, I I agree. Yep. Now and granted, this was I think this was originally published in Cosmopolitan. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Which says uh, something. Yeah, which too. maybe says something about the content. But also, uh, you know, these these black magic stories also they were published in random magazines. So it's like, yeah, they're all in this collection, but it wasn't like on purpose necessarily. Yeah, but the fact that it is in Cosmopolitan is like, what the hell is the black magic Necronomicon doing in there? Well, and also, cavalier, yeah, that's true. I, I, I <laughs> do know. think that you know it's interesting <clears throat> that um, the like he says like the Necronomicon is one of the books yeah. that this guy like yeah. referenced you know which is obviously like you know Demons yeah. Rising <laughs> um, well I, and yeah that's a big issue uh, overall I, I, I completely agree with what you guys are saying I mean it's a, I think in the 70s maybe in the 60s depending on when he wrote this 
King, as a young, you know, straight white guy, like, had a lot of foresight to have that kind of point of view in a horror story, especially in a collection where there are other stories of women getting killed. The the black magic thing is a problem for him because he it's not just black magic. He's supposed to be kind of psychic, yeah. and he puts the black magic on top of it. For me, yeah, that's the, so weird. The psychic power is enough. Like he, that's what he, I'm, yeah, he, exactly. And that's like the me, the rape of the mind you're talking about. That is scary enough. Um, the story does derail a little bit for me when she has that kind of like um, once again it's a gotcha moment. She finds all the stuff in the closet and whatever else. However. A, it's one of the few stories in Night Shift with a, a somewhat happy ending and the fact yeah. that she gets away. And it actually ends on this moment of strength. Like, she, she's kind of like... It's like, a, it's like Scream 2. It is. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah. she's like, fuck you. She mm-hmm. walks across this bridge. She knows she got out of this thing and she knows she made the right move. And she, know, she knows that she ultimately took a stance that many women don't get to take like, and I, that's hard to take I was hearing yeah. Collective Soul at the end of the, the thing yeah. walking around <laughs> helicopter scenes like she's and that was this you know usually w- with all these other stories where we're like ah oh, the ending kind of fell apart it doesn't get that redemption thing but that final it moment back. it comes back and it's yeah. uh, sometimes I come back I, uh, and, and I really love that but then there's a, the last okay. passage though is, is kind of bizarre. I'd like to hear your, your take. Uh, on about this. how she realizes that maybe she's she says, superficial or but something. But was or... she so small that she actually needed so little? And then she says, "Please, dear God, no." And then she throws the last but, scraps of magic. So I, I wonder mm, if that's what do you lady think? Of yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Please. Um, so I actually think? think that's incredibly effective. There's yeah. this as a again part of rape culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, even women who know they're not at fault still have to actively work hard to not blame themselves mm. or apologize yes. for abuse. Brief story time. Uh, a friend of mine yesterday, as I was preparing to talk about this story, um, had someone show up at her job right after she got there very early in the morning with a knife. Mm. Um, this guy had come into her office a couple different times and insisted on talking to her, her coworkers. Uh, to their great credit, deflected and said, absolutely not. You're not going to talk to her. If you need help, you talk to us. He left. And yesterday, he showed up at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And it was just a pocket knife, but came in and said, I need to talk to her. I don't want to talk to anyone but her. Took out a pocket knife and started playing with Did it. Did he know her? Or is this just some random no, guy? No, he started, he would walk by on the street and see uh, her in the office. Mm, gross. Um, she didn't know <laughs> yes, his yes, name yes. until she filed a police report. Because yeah. obviously she filed a police report. Um... And I was talking to her about this experience yesterday, and she said she was sitting in her office, and she kept saying, I know it's not a big deal. He didn't actually hurt me. He's probably mentally ill. It shouldn't be something I worry about. And people had to keep reminding her that no. And the cops, apparently one of them was really hot, which I love, but the cops showed up and (laughs) said, you should always trust that feeling that you get on the back of your neck when you know someone is unstable. Mm -hmm. If you're even a little bit worried, it's better to just call us. And then the hot one said, we love of this stuff <laughs> and it really you know there's a, there's a lot of understandable stories about bad policing right now and it's serious and an issue we should talk about but in this moment it was the right thing mm-hmm. but she had to be talked into taking what was very likely a physical attack on her person by a man who felt entitled to speak to her mm-hmm. for no reason seriously yeah and i think that moment of saying please dear god don't let me be that small yeah comes from a place of realizing that you were skillfully manipulated by a person and dan i agree i wish it wasn't black magic um a thing that we haven't talked about yet that i think is worth addressing is that as empowering as it is to watch her essentially 
kick the crap out of his magic powers just through being a goddamn American woman. Um, <laughs> at the end of the story, the real hero of the story is her roommate, yeah. Alice. Alice, yeah. And I would just like to encourage everyone out there, particularly our male constant listeners, <laughs> if you see a friend who you believe to be in an abusive relationship, it is your goddamn responsibility to have a difficult conversation, even if it costs you the friendship. So be like Alice and say, hey, Courtney, just so you know, I think it's really weird that that dude knew that you liked strawberry double dip ice cream. I think, that, I think it's really weird that he magically knew that your fiance died. When I didn't tell him. And also, I think it's really weird that he's psychic. Really quick, just because you touched on this, you think Alice might be in love with... Uh... Well, there's a brief reference where she says, did you ever think that I might love you a little bit? And Oh, that's right. And it's... I mean, I assume that it was a friendly that's love. That's But there are yeah. also a bunch of references to her not being social and to being bookish and to being oddly jealous and resentful of her mm-hmm. uh, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem to be jealousy of male attention it seems to just be jealousy mm. so it, it's it's possible to interpret the stories that Alice is in love but she is a goddamn hero yes yes is it a coincidence they uh, dine at the silent woman oh hey you know oh. what else I forgot this you know where they get their uh, ice cream from the grinder which is the name of the restaurant in Strawberry Spring. So I think this is the same college oh, campus. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I was It doesn't ask that, say yeah. New Sharon College. But the grinder. That's not mentioned, and I know what you need. But they uh, the, talk about the grinder. The, the grinder so was the also the evil, no, the evil laundry press. No. I know one evil grinder um, in Good Burger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Where is it cut that? I like that you went with the Rob Lowe. <laughs> I, I was gonna Fox say Rob Lowe Fox series because he's in the too stand. soon. Find it on Netflix or somewhere. That show was really good. Watch I, Nick Andrews. I, I I really 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 um, enjoyed this story because I, I liked it from um, a thriller aspect as opposed to being something beyond that. You know, I I, I thought it was a, a very um, like kind of moody David Fincher thriller in a weird way. And I was actually, I mean, like you, I was very disappointed in the Black Magic thing. But I was also kind of disappointed that it was like a, oh, it was one of those even like deeper mythos things where it's like, oh, they grew up together and we knew it as a kid. Yeah. I just didn't think you needed that. There's like, three it, reveals. It just, they grew up together, he's a psychic, and there's Black Magic. It, it was almost like, in, in, in this was published in Cosmopolitan. Like yeah. Thing. It was almost like, I feel like he had to like, he felt like he just had to keep layering it to like this, you know, the audience that wasn't traditionally reading his books. Like, he's like, no, this is another reason. This is another reason. And it's just like, no, you didn't need it. You just needed one. Like, you didn't even, honestly, you didn't even mm-hmm. need to do the psychology thing, like, or the, the psychic thing. No. I think, like, because even like the fact that, you know, Alice has all this information about, um, about the guy. I mean, like, I, I think that's good for the story and, and for those that need to be, like, satiated to, like, have some more understanding of what's going on. But I think even if you just had no idea how he knew all this stuff or anything, a stalker. and it's just a stalker, I, I think that's a more effective I story. I think that's scarier. Although yeah. I will say her realizing that the hair on the doll is wrong because it's probably hair that he cut from her head when she was a child. Yeah. That's actually really freaky. Yeah, yeah that was really freaky. cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, um... I think I know what I need, and it's more <laughs> stories like this. Uh, pretty great. And now we're going to move on to our final uh, story for this episode, uh, the number 11 story, and it's about... Um, I'd say it's no laughing matter. It's gray, gray matter. matter. 
<laughs> How are we going to make a pun about Jerusalem's lot when we get to that? So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I'll think of one. Well, okay. uh, Grey Matter I love because it's about my favorite thing in the whole world, an ice-cold brewski. <laughs> um, Drinking one right now. Yes. No, I, um, I, Grey Matter is the story of, um, it's, it's Banger Maine. It's a winter. It's it's a winter story. A couple guys hanging out in the convenience store, and then uh, older older guys. And this kid comes in who often buys beer for his dad, but his dad only wants the cheapest beer. Basically, his dad um, is unemployed. He's kind of down on his luck, and he's fallen to drinking. And you know the guys are worried about the kid a little bit. But then the kid starts telling stories that you know, his dad has started changing recently. And the implication is that he drank a can of this beer that tasted funky. And the and essentially that, and he called it like it was skunked, you know, but... It was um, in a green bottle. Yeah, and basically it was like, the implication is that there was some kind of mutagen in it. And um, he starts to slowly transform into this gelatinous monster that just consumes anything in its wake. And so, um, I, it's it's another, I think it's it falls, it, it's a very different than the last three stories we've discussed, which are sort of lyrical uh, explorations of like romance and stuff like this. This is kind of another in the ve- vein of a graveyard shift that's very much about like, you know, it's it's gross. It's about, it's sort of, uh, you know, it seems like the origin story of some apocalyptic monster in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think it's really neat. I, I think this is a lot about, I, I think the story really um, hits upon themes of neglect yeah you know and like the this idea that this i think the scariest part is not even just the monsters it's the idea that this boy has had to live here mm-hmm. for, for weeks walk, right? for weeks yeah. and weeks and weeks and and not to you know play the the sort of like you know victimization thing here but like i you know growing up in a household when my mom you know like my mother was an alcoholic and like mm-hmm. she would come home and there would be it was a lot on me and my brother to kind of figure out what we're doing for dinner and doing for some other things and you know i i being I, I just that idea of coming home and it's like pitch dark in the house and you have to figure out something you're gonna have to like figure out you're, you're on your own and the, the the adult there isn't there for you all the time and and you you at some point because you, you never really reach out you always think like all right well this is my world I have to you know I have to mm-hmm. survive in this world and it's not until it gets to a boiling point where you actually have to go out and reach out to somebody else to get you out of that world. And I think that tension is so inherently like drilled into this story. And, and, and I, that's the thing I love about genre fiction that I think people like totally like piss on sometimes. And, you know, especially when I was in like, you know, going into the short story uh, cycles and stuff in school and, you know, all the, the different fiction writing classrooms. And they would always, you know, give this, you know, roses to literary fiction and piss on genre fiction. Genre fiction is a great way to to sell to use as a medium for bigger topics that you mm-hmm. can actually kind of chew on without being like too treacly or you know too uh, precious. And like this story is a perfect example of what genre fiction can do. And I and I and I think like that 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 just that, that feeling of neglect fuels this so well that for me. This this actually happened to be like one of my favorite stories just just because of that because the terror is so much deeper than just a big blob monster but that big blob <laughs> monster is fucking terrifying yeah, so, yeah no totally you know, uh, well I am having all kinds of discoveries today uh, I had a very similar reaction to this yeah. story Mike my dad was also an alcoholic yeah. so when I was reading it I was thinking about 
I have this very visceral memory of going. I was a really weird kid, and I loved opening the box that our fake Christmas tree was in, yeah. just like for kicks when I was sad. <laughs> um, and opening that and realizing that there were empty PBR cans in it. Yeah. I found a can in the wall once. There was a uh-huh. hole in my bedroom. I found one in the wall once. Uh, he was making his macaroni and cheese, and he forgot to drain the water but he because he was drunk, and he was so drunk that he decided that was fine, and he called it cheese and noodle soup, and we had to mm, eat it. Yeah. And it yeah. that those were the things I was thinking about when I was reading this story, and I think that that, it's a great example of a horror story that creates a monster that is terrifying on its own, but what's underneath it is truly terrifying. I also wonder if maybe that's why we both love the boxcar children. Yeah, right? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) You know, I used to plan, if I had to survive on my own, what were the foods I would want in my backpack? Yeah. I think I that wonder is if really, maybe that's... I think that's I think a we need a Boxcar point. Children yeah. podcast. Yeah. I think that yeah. we'll do well, the Pickle <laughs> podcast, and then we'll do the Boxcar Children podcast. The Boxcar podcast. podcast. No, and, and, and I think that's really, that's really like, frightening, what you guys are talking about, in terms of, like, uh, like the whole idea of it takes a town to raise a, a child. That, you know, he literally goes to the store and mm-hmm. has all, like, the store tells them the, what's going on, and they have to go figure it out. And even they can't, save him from this. I mean, the end of the story, he's left um, writing, uh, I I don't know which one's going to come back first. I hope it's my friend. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's just, it's creepy. And and I also thought maybe he was talking about, well, I hope it's the man and not the monster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. thinking about that. And, um, yeah, because it was really creepy to to, to know that. And um, also want to, well, I'll talk about this in a second, so. Um, Let's go back to the beginning of storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> come, oh, with, come with me on Spaceship Earth. Come no, um, this is one of those situations, I think, where a personal experience, <laughs> thank you, Willie Wonka, where a, a, R.I.P. a, a, personal, a personal experiment, experiment, a personal experience can elevate a story or, in some cases, make you look at a story and say this is absolute <clears throat> bullshit. Um, so for me personally, I do not like this story that much. Mm-hmm. Um I again, you don't have to be mostly tied into a story trope or a theme or whatever. I just, I just thought it was kind of a, a lower grade monster story, mm-hmm. and I didn't, I, I wasn't really, I, I, def, I think I ranked it lower than you, than you five. But um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it personally, just because I feel like I love the the funny idea of skunk beer. Because I we've we've all had bad either backwash beer or just disgusting dried out beer, but that didn't take me far enough personally. From 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 reading this as a horror story, obviously I did not think of it on that level of the neglect. I didn't think of that at all. I just thought of it as a monster story that kind of ends before it mm-hmm. begins. That's that's how I took it. Yeah, it's interesting because I. Um Hey, we all have our family issues, right? Um, yeah. I, I, neither of my of my parents uh, or even really any of my my extended family are like full blown alcoholics or anything like that. So it's really interesting hearing your guys' take on that. And yeah, I and definitely. I think um I mean I don't know a lot about if Stephen King's dad had any issues with that before he left, but obviously Stephen King was oh, an alcoholic at some point. So I think I think certainly he whether or not he was conscious of it, he is capturing a certain like addict personality, you know. Um, I do like this story a lot. I'm, I'd actually like to reread it through the lens that you guys are talking about because that's super interesting yeah. and makes it even more tragic. Um, for me, I, I, oddly enough, I think the reason why I gravitated so much towards this one is because it, it's like a combination of a couple other stories in Night Shift. One, one for the Road has the exact same format of two guys in a bar, two, mm-hmm. two good yeah. guys yes. who want to help. 
not a stranger in this case, but someone from the outside comes in, tells them about this thing that they're not really sure what it is. Cause the kid doesn't know. He's no. kind of just like my dad, I don't know what's happening. And same thing for one for the road. Like the guy doesn't know that there's you know vampires out there. They have to go, um, try and solve it and in neither story do they really solve it i mean one for the road they get away at least but they don't really and the guy dies right like they don't really solve the situation no. yeah, yeah. and what i love about this and this this goes back to another story night shift it's the same ending as trucks when he sees that gelatinous gray blob yeah. divide and he and he runs on the stairs and here's the shots and here's three shots so who knows maybe maybe his friend was able to shoot the two halves of it and then another one probably not but at the, exactly. But at the you same know. time, it's like even if he shot this thing, would do anything. But and I love this idea. Of he just runs back to this bar, and all he can do is do the math in his head. Okay, it splits yeah. this many times. It splits this many times. It splits this many times. It only needs to do that this relatively small number before it takes over the world. And I and I don't know, man. I'm maybe I like ambiguous endings a little bit too much. But I love I love endings where it's someone waiting and just mm-hmm. not knowing what's yeah. going to come next. Yeah. And I th- I think even more so than trucks. This story does that so well, so I was really haunted by the end. And, and the body, I want the body horror is also obviously yeah. quite yeah. effective. In this Eating show. the cat yeah, out of exactly. the wall. Yeah. And all that. You go first. Yeah. Well, I just say I, I like what you were saying, Dan. I was thinking a lot about alcoholism too, but through the lens of King, who obviously had his own addiction issues. And there's a couple different stories, including like Quitters Inc. in this mm. that are about a type of addiction. Mm. And um, and so and then you know, and I also think back on The Shining, where he talked about the idea of um, anger and addiction and how that can change you and how it can affect your relationship with your children. And so this is such a clear, you know, uh, parable, you know, about like a man who is changed uh, so drastically by his alcoholism to the point where he does become harmful to both his child, but then also the community. In the world. Yeah, in the world. But I think like, you know, we talk about these, you know, focusing on two guys who are like in a bar or in a convenience store or whatever. And I think that's always King's way of tying it. But he's always interested in the community, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like my favorite stories of his are the ones that always kind of compile a community together. And so I'm, you know, I think that's what I really like about gray matter. And um, but yeah, I think it really resonates just on that level of this was a man who was clearly struggling with his own addictions and understood the consequences of them, but was still struggling against them. Yeah, I also think it's interesting. We don't have a lot of King's Dominion stuff, but somewhere I read that this was supposed to be in the same area as Dreamcatcher. That's it's so weird because I, I think was it's actually the same town. I wrote down like Dreamcatcher Prelude without even having. Yeah, that and I you know if you don't want spoilers, stop listening for a second. But yeah, but, but maybe it, this is like you know, could be like an alien mutagen, Mister yeah. Gray. You know, yeah, yeah, right? or or maybe this is the beginning of what we'll end up seeing or something. You know, yeah, uh, Dudits, yeah, Dudits, I Dudits. I my. My thing is, I, I actually think it's like a really well-written uh, story in terms of form. You know, you get the Aaron Sorkin walk and talk. Mm-hmm. Love that. I do love the walk love and talk. Love how yeah. like m- the majority of like all the stuff that's that's being told when they're like actually walking to the house is so effective in building up the tension to where it's going. to It's go. an artful reveal like, of information, and in a way, much better than um, some of the other stories in Night Shift, where it's just like this monologue about what happened. I mean, yeah. it is a monologue, but it makes sense that. Okay, what do you hear from the kid as yeah. you're going to this? Oh, well, it's this and this, but I love that they don't really understand what's going on, and so yeah. it's kind of a combination of the walk and talk, and then actually seeing it for themselves, which yeah. is really neat. Hey, breweries out there, how about a Losers Club uh, pills called Gray Matter? Yeah, <laughs> hey, for real, man, yeah. we need some sponsorship. Hey, you, you can keep me out of it. It'll turn you into a blob. <laughs> Quick question for the panel: Grossest oh. beer you've ever consumed? Ice House. Ooh. Mine um, was mm. I had to drink a can of Coors Light. 
I uh, love through the bottom because we needed cans that could open on stage for a play without having beer in them. Oh, that was the most maybe the most disgusting thing I've ever. Wait, seen. did you have to? You, you drank it? You well, felt compelled to drink it? I mean, it? I was what like twenty six. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Of course. Uh, either you know, I, I lump. Uh, Natty Ice, Natty Light, natty and, and, and Keystone Light on the Keystone same Keystone and Ice House are that one size. I'm, yeah. I'm uh, an outlier because my favorite beers are PBR and uh, Miller High Life. So I um, I have like really shitty beer. Um, I which love is why Miller I High Life. Even, I, because Don't I, speak ill of Miller High Life. I'm just anyone. really bad at beer. Yeah. Like I, I like and like I mean I like two different beers like a little something and um, what is that the one that the Big Isle Brewery like they have oh, like, yeah. well, they have a cool beer there. I'll but, say. Um, Oh, sorry. Um, I, I think Molson. Rothman's Ra- Ra- uh, grossest beer is like Oberon. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was going to say Guinness is probably the. I, I hate it. I think it's gross and I like. I get sick thinking about it. Guinness like, is disgusting. I'll say before I moved here, um, <laughs> like, I, I too was just perfectly fine with PBR the rest of my life. And then I moved to Chicago and I've become such a beer snob oh, with like yeah. Revolution Brewery <laughs> and Lagunitas. So now it's tough for me to go back to the PBRs and the, and the Coors. One. It's great. But I, I, I love our local breweries. Uh, just one last point I, I wanted to make about Grey Matter real quick is um, uh, just, and we talked about this with The Shining a little bit, something that I love that King does that I don't feel like a lot of modern horror uh, does do is that he he takes the metaphor and it functions as a metaphor. Like, it okay, this is this guy's an alcoholic, he's, he's a pig, he's whatever, and that's all very much within him. And then it manifests itself in this this metamorphosis within him but that's also very real. Like, you know, it's it's essentially his flaws coming to the surface and physically altering him. Whereas in with a lot of modern horror, it's more like, oh, is it, it, it like is the physical transformation real or is it just symbolic of this? And what I love about King is that he can have he has the symbolism, but he has the real thing happen too. Exactly. And I think that's like so rare. But yeah. Yeah, I just want to let you know that our next episode is just gonna be hosted by multiple mics because he's going to be splitting into yeah. two <laughs> I haven't introduced a story yet. Low-grade beers. Well, um, I think that wraps it up almost for this first episode. We have a little bit of dessert before we go, though, <laughs> in the form of some pound cake. After all you've been talking, everyone in bad mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. You know, in Night Shift, there aren't as many explicit sexual descriptions. I mean, in Night Seraph, you have a little bit of, oh, so like... the whole Susie character, but we'll, I, I have... Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Mike cover that. And even then, it doesn't get to the depths that, you know, the mm-hmm. lot did. Um, Trunks has some stuff. Yeah, Trex says, yeah, I, I feel like with Night Shift, it's more about, like, Those the back phys- muscles the, come back. Exactly. Yeah. It's more about the physical details of people than actual sex scenes. Uh-huh. Uh, for instance, um, we <laughs> talked about a little bit, like, in The Lawnmower Man, him getting... Oh, I'm finding the exact ...grossed out ones. by the green pubic hair, which I actually like because the, um, you know, it's supposed to be grass or whatever else. But it also <laughs> makes me think of, um, have you guys seen Pink Flamingos, the John Waters Not movie? years, but... There's this actress... Delightful. <laughs> God, that's a great comparison. Can you imagine a film version of the Lawnmower Man where the Lawnmower Man was actually divine? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, oh, that'd be great. God, well, I there's, there's take that. All my who's, money. Who's the actress in Pink Flamingo? She's the villain, not not divine, but the um, the other one. And she dyes her hair weird colors. Like every scene, she has like neon blue hair and neon orange mm-hmm. hair. And they show her naked a bunch, and they dye her pubic hair to match it. And it's like so disturbing <laughs> to me. I don't know why. And the Lawnmower Man made me made me think of that. But that's that's the one that really stuck out for me this time around. But what about you guys? I've got one for our next episode. 
Okay. So, oh, do we do we want? Yeah, let's yeah, just limit yeah. it to these these ones. Yeah, I was going to try to limit it to these stories. I think because yeah. there's a lot in the ones coming up, especially. There's next a story. brief but, mention in, it, and it's not. It doesn't totally qualify. But in Strawberry Spring, the first corpse that they find is specifically spread-legged. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's more, like, kind of chilling, I guess. Then, like, yeah. I guess there's not yeah, as much not, funny not sex comical. stuff. Except yeah. for Lawnmower Man, him talking about his daughter and her boobies. Yeah. 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 yeah Buxom daughter. Buxom. Skimpy sweater. There's, again, with the sweaters. <laughs> always with the, the sweaters. The alliteration, though. Sweater nubbins. Skimpy sweaters. Um... Well, and yeah. then there's the Playtex living girdle. Yeah. <laughs> of a wife. See, and that, that is uh, not as Here many we go. helpings. With something approaching true insanity, Harold saw the man's pubic hair was a rich, fertile green. He was twirling his baseball cap on one finger. See, but like, it, even that is like kind of unnerving to me. Yeah. It's not as funny. It's it like kind of works. just bizarre. I mean, I, you know, in this first half of Night Shift, there are not as many helpings. And then he slices yeah, I think this is a, a, a mild dessert, but, um... <laughs> but, a, 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 what, what, a, a, a tea? <laughs> 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 tea I think, um, I think we'll probably have some more next, next week, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, come back in two weeks, because we are going to be talking about the top ten, uh, stories in, uh, in, uh, Night Shift, so there's probably going to be a lot more, uh, less, um, you know, green pubes and more, um... Uh, uh, Pimply butts. Greener pastures. Greener pastures. And yeah, that's actually perfect. Um, (laughs) So yes. uh, And then uh, two weeks after that, we're going to be discussing the film adaptations of all of these. So this is a big three-part episode on Night Shift. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Long days and pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends.